Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. I am Tim Elliott, and I am with the usual gang of idiots here. We have Brian Hughes. What? Me worry? I'm glad you got the reference. Uh, we have Kirk Greenfield. Good morning. And last but not least, John Hyatt. The best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. Uh, well, speak for yourself. Hey, hey, no plugs. No plugs. We don't have a sponsor for that. Oh, <laughs> it's coffee in your cup. <laughs> Once again, Generic speak for yourself. Your <laughs> hey, we, I made a uh, – uh, anybody ever had a hot buttered rum? I made one last night for the first time, and it's not bad. Mm. Are you waking up yet? <laughs> yeah. Well, they actually got cold in Vegas. I mean, it was in the 40s last night here, so. Wow. And yeah, it rained. Right. It rained last night, yesterday for the first time since April. So we we got rain in uh, Southern California as well. Big changes. Yeah we, had, yeah, we had like two fronts coming together. It was weird to see rain clouds and have it kind of overcast. And that's usually it's not the case here in Vegas. It's usually very sunny. Yeah. But yeah, course, we're always getting some of John's uh, forest fires over here. We're always getting that the smoke and yeah stuff comes our way. It's like it's like uh, Vesuvius with a cloud plume, you know, just covers the world. <laughs> exactly. It's and that we all we get that, that's in the news, like air quality. And yesterday was like it went from moderate to hazardous at one mm-hmm. point. Like okay, maybe we'll stay inside. But uh, that's enough for the weather. Unless Kirk <laughs> wants to talk weather. No, no, no I'm biting my tongue. I'm. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we have, uh, well, I'm going to let Brian uh, let, let us, uh, give us a little intro about what we're going to cover. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, we've uh, done a couple books over the last few weeks as part of our Halloween Scare-tacular. We had a lot of fun with that. So now we're, what we're going to do is we're going to catch up on a couple issues of John Byrne's fan fiction, X-Men Elsewhere. And uh, if you're not aware of what that is, where have you been? Uh, for the last, uh, what is it? It's almost two years, isn't it? Um, Obviously, they have to listen to this show if they don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. John Byrne's been doing his own fan fiction of X Men, picking up after issue 137, though it picks up as though Gene never died. Um, and we are going to be covering issues. Which ones are we doing today? Is that 14 and 15 today? Yes. Yeah, 14 and 15. And so I'll, I'll be covering 14, and I believe Kirk is doing the chores on 15. And uh, before we get into that, though, I just wanted to, to, you know, toss out a couple of things and see what you guys thought. I understand, John, that you watched the New Mutants movie. Is that right? I did. I did. And what did you think? I, you know, I don't think it deserves the hate. I think it's a, I I don't think it's a, a movie that, can stand up in uh, next to the blockbuster cosmic spanning Avengers and Justice Leagues and stuff like that because it's definitely not that type of a film. But it was it was a very good film and uh, the characters were really really well defined and uh, they did really well with it. Uh, it doesn't follow exactly the history, you know. Xavier didn't form them, and um, so so is there a Xavier in there? Is there a mention uh, of the X-Men? Okay. He's referenced. And the X-Men are referenced, but they're they're not the main they're not the main part of it or they're not really heavily referenced at all. Um, 
but but that but it isn't set in an X Men universe. I don't know what it is because they they change every what fifteen years <laughs> we get a whole new X universe. But yeah, now this movie had been filmed several years ago and it sat in a can for a good while. And it did and a number of reshoots and and yeah, some extensive reshoots. And yeah, cuts, but the, they, it, it's the classic um, beginning lineup except they don't have Karma, and it brings Ileana in uh, right away uh, as they get to, as they bringing the team members together. And that's uh, Anna Taylor-Joy playing her, isn't it, um, from the Queen's Gambit series? Yeah. Yeah, very good. You know, all the, I, I think all of the uh, actors did a very good job at uh, their characterizations, and the the story was actually pretty good. I like the way it kind of laid it out. It had a nice um, lead-up, so you, it was almost like, a TV series, very decompressed, uh, uh, like a, a Bronze Age TV series, <laughs> where not like today, where you have like one story that takes 12 episodes and they're filling it in with all this stuff all the time. It was very compressed, and um, they did a good job uh, defining who the characters were, and then bringing in the uh, the big bad, which no surprise, um, everyone knows it's the Demon Bear. Um, if you don't, sorry, spoilers, spoilers. There might be spoilers. Well, that, that um, was, I thought to. that was pretty apparent with the trailers and such. Uh, well, the demon bear. yeah, but you know, someone's always going to cry. Hey, you, bro, you spoiled it for me. <laughs> Is uh, there a big surprise or a big reveal in it that you're not supposed to know until they tell you? No, I don't think so, really. I mean, the fact that we saw the glowing eyes or anyone who's familiar with the New Mutants um, early history and the demon yeah. bear story... Uh, watching the trailers, uh, you know it's the Demon Bear saga, or the Demon Bear story. So well, I, I I heard that to to Brian's point, this is kind of languished. It was filmed, I think, in 2017 or 2016. It's mm-hmm. it's been you know how long have we been seeing uh, trailers like oh it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and yeah. I'd heard yeah. they had. Uh, it had originally been more of a kind of a teen angst kind of film, and then they decided to cut it more as a, a straight up horror. At least that's what the the trailers seemed like a straight up horror film. Yeah, and I think yeah. that was a lot of the reshoots. I don't think it's a horror film per se. It's definitely uh, more in that kind of a style, but I wouldn't call it a horror film. Uh, but it was a good. Um, it was nice. Um, Adam Beach. Uh, does a, a brief cameo as Danny Moonstar's father, which was nice to see Danny Moonstar being kind of the focal point. And um, I wonder, well, Danny and Ileana were like the two main characters that they focused on on their stories, and it was really interesting how they did that. And uh, let's see. Uh, Maisie Williams was Rand Sinclair. Uh, yeah, Maisie, Maisie. I mean, they all did such a good job. And Anna Taylor Joy, she was so good as Ileana. Um, it, it was almost like she really did a lot of good study because she was bringing in some of the the limbo sub sub characterization into the character. You mean the whole Belasco Sim bit? Well, no, just we don't know what that backstory is. Ah. We just know that that she. But to me, it was just like. She wasn't this happy-go-lucky Ileana that we always saw uh, in the books. Um, she was a little moody. She was, 
troubled and dark, and um, and the, and Anna Taylor Joy kind of brought that in subtly without overacting on it. But she's so got it those nice. eyes that just can penetrate steel, and you know they're they're so distinctive that uh, I mean that's kind of what makes her stand out so heavily in the Queen's Gambit. And and she uh, and she she did great. I mean, it was it was very good. And I love. I mean, the the blonde wig or however they dyed her hair was like spit image out of the comics. Yeah, it was, it was so perfect. Uh, so they all did a good job, uh, uh, I think. And uh, the characters that we got the least about was um, uh, Sam and Sunspot. Yeah, uh, but maybe they were going to kind of focus on them a little bit more because I understand there was supposed to be a trilogy, perhaps. Yeah, and, I think it was, but I don't think it's doing well enough that they'll. Plus, well, no, no, there's there's not going to be another one of those because just yeah, I mean the way Marvel's going to be handling the the movies going forward, they're going to redo what? all the mutant stuff. So I don't know if they're going to carry this stuff. I heard that Bob McCloud was disappointed that Danny was not, and and I I can see his point that she wasn't in Braves. <laughs> That she didn't have the braids that she wore. Uh, oh, he, yeah, like that, he drew her. Yeah, that just seemed like it would be a no-brainer. Yeah, that's an easy. Um, and, and they spelled his name wrong apparently in the. Yeah. Oh. Well, you know, um, really, he's disappointed by not putting a, a Native American young woman in stereotypical stereotypical braids. I mean, that's yeah. kind of disappointing to me. Yeah, he still yeah. gets paid though, doesn't he? What? He still gets paid for creating these characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think but he... the, the characterizations were good. I think you know um, when New Mutants came out, I I was thrilled. I and Bob McCloud's artwork was stunning on that to me on that first uh, dozen issues or so that he was on it. Right. Did they and... do anything in this movie to somehow? bring out some of the, the imagery that Bill Sienkiewicz had done on New Mutants because that right there is what, you know, of course the Demon Bear Saga came from from him right. and, you know, his artwork was just, you know, one of those gigantic points that everybody looks at when they think about the, the New Mutants. Did they I do- think that the way that they filmed this is uh, Sienkiewicz's um, homage. It's very, it's kind of dark. It's... Uh, uh, even even in the daylight, it's kind of got one of those filters on it, so you know it's still daylight, but it still it enhances the colors in such a way that it kind of feels moody. I don't know how to describe that. And uh, the they're they're in some sort of a, a facility, an old asylum or something. And uh, it's funny because the way that when they show the exterior of it, it kind of looks like the old ways that we they used to draw the X Mansion. So I was like, "Oh, that's kind of interesting." <laughs> oh, okay. uh, so yeah, it was it was it was an interesting thing. The they they talked about their uh, backstories, and we get um, and Lockheed, which is really? cool too. <laughs> yeah, was Lockheed there? Or they just talked about. No, Lockheed was there. The little dragon or the SR seventy one? No, the little dragon. <laughs> okay. Um, Lockheed is a companion to Ilyana. I'm so, not sure how I feel about that. Uh, well, watch the film before you start thinking about how you feel about that, because yeah. uh, it was a really cool way that they introduced or that they worked with Lockheed in there. Okay, 
So uh, I can see that you can actually watch it on Prime or on Amazon. That is for twenty bucks. You have to you buy have it. To you can't. You yeah. can't just rent it. Or yeah. So but it'll probably, it'll be for rent soon. I think. I don't think it'll be long before you can rent it or find it at Redbox. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it'll come out and rent soon. I, I you know I think it's worth the rental. It's if you, if you like the New Mutants. I think better, it's worth the rental. Well, actually, they're saying it's not available. Well, the 4K is not available until November 17th. So let me right see here. Let me take a look at the regular one. Yeah, November 17th. Better or worse than Dark Phoenix, the last... Oh, last I think movie. it's better than Dark Phoenix. Oh, interesting. Interesting. It's different, though, but it's different. But, you know, if I had to, if, you, if you're going to make me pick, I would say this is a better film than that one. Because the characterizations were so well done, and you kind of really got interested in them. Uh, Cecilia Reyes is in there as the doctor, and. Was she Mo- Moira? No, the, the character's name is Cecilia Reyes. Alice oh. Braga plays. Uh, oh, that's Richard. right. That's right. Yeah. So. So I, you know, I'm not going to um, tell the ending or spoil anything else about it, but you know, it was definitely you could t- knowing that it was supposed to be a trilogy. You see the threads that you know that okay, this is probably what they're going to put through to the next uh, for the next films. But you know, if they wanted to, I think they can make a couple of miniseries for release on TV, and it would be fine if they wanted to keep doing it. Well, um, New Mutants would probably work. Might work better as a, like Shield or uh, the Netflix shows, those thirteen issue or thirteen episode like uh, Iron Fist and Daredevil. You could do uh, <clears throat> so instead of doing it as a big film, have it because this film seems like a smaller story, smaller scale, uh, a little more intimate story. Maybe that's why it it appealed to you more instead of a big bombastic thing where the whole world's at jeopardy. It's just like no, this is just our little corner of the world's at jeopardy. Yep. So. Yeah, and that was and that was refreshing actually to me to be watching a superhero film that the entire world and cosmos didn't hang in the balance. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what's uh, nice about the Ant Man films. I think people, yeah, uh, because they're small stakes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so that's my my review of uh, New Mutants for uh, New Mutants cast. Excellent. Well, thank you. We we uh, we appreciate that because I, I I mean I think all of us have just been kind of looking at it you know kind of through the side of our eyes you know just trying to sit there and go do I dare do I dare? But, well, it was uh, such a it's always it's coming it's coming and then you kind of forget about it and oh it's here and mm-hmm. you know they and they like uh, I know they put it in I think it may still be in theaters here because they they're not showing anything new they've got if they, I don't even know if the theaters here are still open but. Um, yeah, not, not they're any. showing in theaters out here, but you know I'm not comfortable going to theaters yet. So, <laughs> yeah. Now, quickly before we start any uh, issues, I, I did want to say that, uh, and I'll make I'll make it as quick as I can. Um, I've watched the first two episodes of The Mandalorian, and I think the <gasps> four, first four episodes of Discovery, and really, really enjoying them both. I've seen first issue, first issue, first episode of Discovery. I haven't caught up. I don't have um, Disney Plus, so I can't watch The Mandalorian. Um, oh. But I've seen kind of reviews of the first four of Discovery, and I just haven't, I just haven't sat down and watched them. 
Yep, we've watched the first few episodes of Discovery and haven't gotten into uh, Mandalorian yet. It's just been... I get TV overload, so there's times where I'm just no. like, I can't yeah. watch TV anymore. <laughs> can't, can't bitch it. Have, has anybody watched, it's on Prime, uh, Truth Seekers, the Nick Frost and... Oh, I've been um, wanting to watch that. Um, it's not bad. Yeah. It's not... I mean, it's eight, not, eight episodes. It's not the same as, as typical Nick Frost, Simon Pegg type stuff. Now, Simon Pegg's not in it much. He's yeah, more of he, a, he, and yeah, that's he's, part, it's probably why. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of a mix of you know, I don't want to spoil stuff, but it's a mix of several genres. Uh, and you know, and Nick Frost is usually worth watching. It's, he's kind of funny. Um, and the kid that I don't know the kid that's is a young actor that's with him, uh, and uh, Malcolm McDowell's in it. And he's kind of funny. Oh. So oh, it's, it's worth watching. Yeah. Catch you later. Okay. All right. So, um, moving on, let's uh, go ahead and look at X Men Elsewhere. And this is issue 14. 14? Correct. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Um, the story title is Ashes, Pictures, and Words by John Byrne. Uh, this, of course, is available at burnrobotics.com in the fan fiction section. And it has a page count of 20, though it does have that nice two-page spread um, there, I think, on like second or third page. <clears throat> to give a little lead-up to it, I'll give some catch-up notes here. Uh, in the previous issue of Elseworld, the X-Men were battling the Dark Phoenix outside the ruins of the X-Mansion. Wolverine suffers the effect of Phoenix superheating his skeleton, and while Phoenix dispatched Storm and Joff quickly, she's taking her time to torture Cyclops psychically. And now, <clears throat> Storm comes to sprawled out on the ground. She looks up to see Dark Phoenix treating Cyclops like a marionette high above the mansion grounds. Storm attacks with such power and force that Phoenix drops Cyclops, who falls quickly to the ground. Joff quickly grabs Scott and pulls him out from under the fray. I need to stop saying quickly. <laughs> Meanwhile, down in the mansion safe room, Professor X, Kitty Pride, Colossus, the wounded Wolverine sit with Jean Grey's parents and an unconscious Lalandra. Carla Abascal and her mutant son Pablo. The professor cannot tell what's going on outside as the safe room is even protected, is protected from psychic energies, preventing him from telepathically contacting anyone outside. Kitty takes this as a cue and phases the professor with little warning outside of the safe room. The moment they're outside, Dark Phoenix senses their presence and swats Storm away with ease. She then clears away all the debris away from Charles and Kitty. Sprite quickly pulls Charles and herself back to the safe room, but the damage is done, and the integrity of the safe room has failed. Lolandra stirs and cries out for the power that she craves and senses it is nearby. Lolandra struggles to open the door of the safe room. The professor pleads with her. Colossus tries to stop her physically. Both fail, as once the door is cracked even slightly, Lolandra begins to transform back into her phoenix form. She swats Colossus away. The Lalandra Phoenix flies and quickly goes to confront Dark Phoenix high in the sky. Jean feels Lalandra draining a small fraction of her power and returns full force in kind, her Phoenix force taking shape in flame around her. As the X-Men and others look on helplessly, our attention is shifted to the Manhattan Comprehensive Hospital. And by the way, I've searched for this. There is no such place and no hospital with the word comprehensive in the name. What the heck are they doing there? Anyway... Uh, in Ward 4, Captain America enters the ward, announcing that Franklin Richards should make a complete recovery from his imprisonment at the hands of Sebastian Shaw and the Sentinels. See X-Men Elseworld issue 10 for that story. 
The beast laments that Nightcrawler is not lucky and that his powers seem to have been affected. At that point, Alex Summers, also known as Havoc, wakes calling Lorna. Hank and doc the doctor try to calm Alex, letting him know that they have Lorna in their care. As he approaches her and calls out to her, she wakes as well. In that moment, Havoc's mutant power manifests itself and the top floors of the hospital are rocked as Havoc unintentionally releases a cosmic blast. Back in Westchester, Cyclops and Joff look on as two phoenixes battle in the sky above. Joff and Scott determine that Gene is holding back, that somehow Gene is restraining the phoenix force from using its power to its fullest. Meanwhile, at the edge of space, Norrin Rat, the Silver Surfer, relaxes on his board in a swarm of meteors that fly near Earth orbit. The Surfer once again senses the Phoenix, see X-Men 135 for the first time, and rushes towards it, this time intent on not missing as he did before. He arrives in time to see the two Phoenixes locked in combat. Professor X calls out telepathically and asks the Surfer to contain the energy that the two are putting out. The Surfer circles the battle so quick, you would think he was turning back time. Down on the ground, Scott runs to the professor to tell him that Gene is still in the Dark Phoenix. That the, excuse me, Gene is still in the Dark Phoenix and holding her back from unleashing her full power. Professor X telepathically isolates Gene's essence. It is here that Xavier learns that Gene is but a copy of the original, an extension of the Phoenix. But before he can do anything, the Phoenix attacks him as a giant bird of flame and grabs him with its flaming beak. Fortunately, the Lalandra Phoenix attacks Gene again, freeing Xavier. The Professor orders Scott to disrupt the field effect that the Phoenixes are creating in their battle. The surface senses that both parts of the Force are in chaos. The two Phoenix forces grapple with each other as their forms appear to melt and merge. The Professor reaches out to Jean again, this time helping her to break away from the Phoenix Force. The Phoenixes waver, tremble, then tear apart in an explosion of pure force. The Lalandra Phoenix quickly melts away in the force of the explosion. All that remains is the copy of Jean, who falls limp to the earth. Scott runs to her side, and the Jean calls to him. The Jean that calls to him is no longer the childlike Jean, but the Jean he knew and loved. But her call turns to terror. She kisses him, then fades quickly from existence, leaving only her clothing. The X-Men converge on the grieving Cyclops as the Professor's attention is quickly pulled another direction. He calls out, Gene, to be continued. There we go. That was horrible. I need oh, to reread my stuff before I say it. Was, it. That, was, that, was, that, was, uh, that was good. I repeated myself too much. I've got to get better into the uh, comic hyperbole, you know? Anyway. Like the like they say, before you before you give a speech, you should always read it out loud. Mm -hmm. But uh, as things have gone these past few weeks, uh, you know, much has been done in hurry, and so mm -hmm. uh, my my apologies for not huh. uh, giving it a good once over. No, I think it was, it was fine. Anyway, what you guys uh, think? A lot going on. Uh, I I liked it. I mean, there's a lot. I got a, a, a page of notes, but there's a. There's a lot going on in this uh, issue. A lot of, uh, and you know, kind of picking up other threads that we haven't visited in a while, and a lot of action. A lot of this is kind of the. I know it's not the finale, but it's kind of the finale. Uh, this Phoenix story that he's been uh, going on since what? Issue one. Yeah. Yeah, issue one. <clears throat> but main the main stuff for like what the last three issues has been the big. Right, the big battle with when it uh, really ramped up. 
Jane so would Phoenix. you say this was the climax? I would, I would for Phoenix. I would say it's the yeah, climax because definitely. the next, the next issue we're dealing more with Gene in the aftermath. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, yeah, this is a. Uh, I liked it. I thought the artwork is pretty good. I mean, there's some, uh, there's, a, there's some inconsistencies, and most of it is with, and I don't know what it's with Kitty Pride. There's something to do with. He just can't seem to get her face right. It, it, and sometimes she has this kind of horsey face, uh, and sometimes she just doesn't look like Kitty Pride. And, and I don't see that with anybody else. And I don't know why he's if it's just because he's trying to draw a young girl. Well, I, I, I think part of it is, is that, uh, and he probably realized early on that that when he was drawing the childlike Jean that people were confusing her and Kitty Pride. I read that a lot out on Facebook. Because as they were putting the pages out there in the various burn groups, people were like, you know, they they just see the one page without any context. And they say, What is what what is, you know, Kitty Pride doing here? And other people say, No, no, that's Gene and so I you know, uh-huh. I think yeah. he he's he's seen that, heard that, whatever, and he's trying to make a differentiation. When when I see his kitty in this, it makes me think more of Bob McCloud's version um, that we saw every now and then, uh, you know, in the New Mutants books. Bob McCloud of Clang McCloud. <laughs> yeah. Um, or 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 maybe if Tom Palmer had inked it, you know. Um, well, it's probably you know something you don't realize from reading comics that sometimes you rely a lot on color because obviously if this was yeah. inked and colored, you would see a brown, a brunette Kitty versus a redheaded Jean. You go, you would instantly know the difference. But, right, right. Or, or hairstyle, you know. But um, it's just, it's just like I said, I don't see that with any any other female face, and I don't see it really for the male faces. It's just something to do with Kitty that sometimes her face just looks elongated. Yeah. Well. Um, someone on, I think it was on Burn Victims, was posting a couple of panels from X Men 129 when Kitty and Storm were in the uh, ice Mall cream shop. shop. Yeah, the yeah the drugstore. Yeah, and then they showed a close up of Kitty and Storm side by side, and uh, he had sort of in that style of face on Kitty then. So I think it was I him think- trying to probably just make her. Her appearance unique and different, so that Maybe. people could pick her out and know that it was Kitty. And probably, like you said, he was probably uh, really trying to make sure that it looked like she was a younger person and not an adult. Yeah. And, and, and you know, we we know Burn has trouble with sometimes with well with small kids. He has um, not so much their faces, but their bodies. Their bodies to me always felt like he every little kid he drew looked like Puck. Yeah, <laughs> more like a little person, not a child. So, yeah, yeah. But that—that's—that's—that's. That's, that's, I mean, it's a minor quibble. But other than that, there's uh, there's some good stuff going on here. There's uh, I love the, the 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 splash page with uh, Aurora in the grass. That's hard to do. Where most of her body is covered in her cloak, so but so he's had to get the contours of her body and the folds of the cloak. Yeah, he kind of Todd uh, McFarlane that cloak, didn't he? Yeah, it may be because that looks like a lot more cloak than you normally see. A little, a little bigger, but yeah. uh, but it looks nice. I mean, and, and yeah. know, of course he's got lots of grass around her, but uh, and her face looks nice. That's a nice crisp uh, view of her face as she's kind of looking up and coming to and noticing that you know 
Phoenix is kind of torturing Scott. I love the the title lettering there too for Ashes. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's just, yeah, I mean, it's so, yeah. I mean, it's 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 just really really cool the way he did that. But it it looks like almost something you'd see out of Mad or Cracked magazine rather than you know an X Men comic. Hmm. It's it's whatever font he's picked. Yeah. He didn't. Um. But that double page spread that comes next, I, I thought that the, the before we go on, I want to ask you guys, uh, yeah. you guys something, and maybe our listeners as well. Uh, the what do you think about the absence of him providing covers for these? Now, I'm not saying he has to or anything. I'm just saying I miss that the the great covers that he always put on. Uh, for, for the books back in the day so I was just like oh man I, I wonder how he would have interpreted a cover for this particular issue uh, as we've been going along they're not needed in this format um, you know it's fan fiction and they're never going to be published with an individual cover so I, I can't see him doing it but a symbolic I agree I miss a symbolic um, capsulization or representation but I you know well, he doesn't need to do it. Oh, no, he doesn't need to. I, I, but I just miss—I just miss the cover, just the joy of having that. Uh, e- even Initial in this joke. format, yeah, that that drawing, that like, what's going on here? You know, yeah, it's, and then, it's like a sneak peek. Well, this is almost set up like a like a trade, you know. And usually in trades, a lot of times they won't have the covers; they just have one issue go into the next issue. Yeah, um, I, I don't like that me. either. I like to have the covers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I do that, too. That drove me crazy about The Walking Dead. You read them that way because there's sometimes there's no separation. You can't tell. You kind of can tell where the issue ended, but uh, I don't know. I wonder. Uh, I wonder. And when he was doing comics, what the process was? Would you do the issue, and then he'd have to do then? Then would you do the cover, or would the cover come first, and then he did the issue? I don't. I, 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 I think how. the cover would be last. And and you know the the thing is is like you know they would there, there'd be multiple covers that would be worked on. Because, you know, like, he, he actually did covers for, uh, like, Days of Future Past, uh, the, the second issue, 142. And they didn't take that. They went ahead and used uh, Terry Austin's. And, um, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of unused covers, you know, that, that, yeah. that they work on. I don't yeah. know how that works on as far as pay goes out. You know, did he get paid for doing the cover that didn't get used or, or, or what? Um just, uh, I don't know. I mean, that, that's considered. I guess it's considered a page, but I mean, I mean nowadays you, they're not even doing their own covers. Somebody else is doing them, um, and the covers usually don't relate at all to the inside story. Yeah, that's a sin. Bait and yeah, switch. Bait and switch. Yeah. Because yeah. because you look and but you see a be beautiful yeah. cover and you're like, okay, I'll pick that up, and then you look on the inside and the artwork is stick figures. Uh, well, so maybe maybe the point is that somebody made it. It's not needed. I mean, if he would have put, that's just more work he'd have to do. Maybe he, he feels I don't I don't need to put a, a cover on these things. Uh, he kind of does with it. You know, he does. He's doing a splash page. Yeah. You know, he's ashes. Did. This obviously would have been a cover, but um, I he, think if he did a cover for this one, it would have been uh, like the two you know, phoenixes. The, Lalandrix right. and Phoenix fighting or something. Exactly. You yeah. know the cover. There's a cover with uh, that it's not burned, but it's later on, and it's 
uh, Aurora fighting the White Queen, and they're kind of high up in the the frame. Actually, oh, yeah. if you look on that double page, like that. that if you look at the, on that double page, uh, the second page, the panel where Jean is being hit by Storm's force and Cyclops is falling away, and there's all that Kirby crackle, that would have been a perfect cover right there. That's yeah, just, but I think, it, but you're just showing Phoenix. I think you need to show. Yeah, I, I understand. Just seeing that that imagery yeah. is just perfect for a splash page. That is a great one. Yeah. You know, there's something wrong though with that storm image that's on the left in the the, the third panel. It, it, it's so curvy and and almost with the way that the the shadows and light play off of it, she almost looks kind of bronzed. You know. Like yep. Gilded Lily from uh, Alpha Flight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, 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 Don't ask so me much why I have that on my her. Head. It looks wrong. Well, I wonder if he's trying to show if, if this was inked and colored, if it was the the maybe the, the light coming off Phoenix or something, because it does look like she's, especially in her face, that's why she made, I think it does make her look bronzed or gilded. Yeah. Because she's done something. I think it's, it's, um, it's a shame a lot of this is not inked, because in some of the, especially when... Uh, later on when she's fighting Xavier and it's just kind of simple line drawings that you know that's that's not as beautiful as a nicely drawn pencil page because that's going to be all done with color right so you lose a little bit of it, it just looks like a quick sketch but this page like that, to... that cross image where Storm's laying down on the, on the left and watching as, as she's you know as Phoenix is torturing Cyclops and you got all the argle bargle and degree, debris and everything yeah. here this is such a beautifully penciled page. I'd hate to see what inks would do to it. That really is a great point of view in an image. And I see he's got, like, lines drawn from probably where the page ends. Um, I'd hate to lose the top of that stuff if it was actually – I guess it would probably be shrunk down and fit into the page. No, but... I think that's just perspective lines. Otherwise, you'd be cutting off the top of Storm's head. Okay, yeah. 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 It, it is really – that is really a great scene. It, and he's very detailed in a lot of the stuff. I mean, like little tiny leaves on the trees and the blades of grass. Yeah, just great, great. Oh, I like the lampshade over there. I just noticed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, is is Barney in there? We need to we need to expand this up and and check for those kinds of things in the rubble, right? Yeah, but I I think he's he's stopped drawing Barney. Well, that's too bad. I like those little things. He, this is this is my kind of behind the scenes interest coming along. The 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 panel in the middle or on the second middle on the right uh, with Phoenix getting blasted and dropping. So I love that I can still see the erased pencil lines for where he changed certain aspects of things. Let's just. I wouldn't want to see it in the finished product, but I like this the, this little behind-the-scenes look of seeing those mm -hmm. little pencil lines and stuff as it, as it progresses along. Yeah, it's, it, uh, one, one thing I saw recently on uh, the Burn Victims group is Rob Liefeld had posted um, some pages from the old X-Men, and he had put it on a light box so you could see behind it, and you could actually oh, yeah. see where Burn had drawn different images in there on some things so it's like they they, they were going to go a different way in the look of it and uh changed it so yep, it, i remember seeing that too that was really interesting yep 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 now of course in this, something in go ahead something in that same panel yeah um 
Brian, you were saying that sometimes the special effects, you weren't sure how he did that. I think uh, the the energy coming off from um, from Dark Phoenix here, it looks like it's a, a power eraser, yes. something that spins like a little drill. So he's he's run his eraser like a little noodle over top of the lines <laughs> that he has drawn that radiate from her. I see that as all erasure. Yeah, that, yeah, and that's exactly what it is. He he mentioned that in the comments uh, that he used that electric eraser tool yep, to uh, yep, to do yep. that. It works fine. Yeah, it that's works gorgeous. Great. I'd hate to be the anchor for it though. <laughs> yeah, because you know the, the anchor would have would just go nuts trying to fill all all, all that. I mean, Vinny Coletta, he'd take an electric eraser and just get rid of it all. <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. And then of course the next page. Um, next page has got a, a Photoshop effect on it, as I understand. If you look at the way all the, and that doesn't even look like standard Kirby crackle. That's not. No. That's yeah. That's something he's it, generated. That that is something that he hasn't drawn. Yeah. It's, that's a, a Photoshop effect, is what he said. Yeah. And it's weird how Storm. You know. I mean, you can see that she's coming down and the wind is billowing her cape behind her and under her arms. And uh, that makes me think of his work on Superman and just all the cape work that he did there. But that's not like an angle that you'd ever seen Storm do before. It really, it's it's kind of interesting the way it, it looks. Well, with her hair flowing out behind her and the cape, when I first saw that, it, to me it looks like Doctor Strange because her hair almost looks like his high collar of his cape. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. And again, if it's colored, that's some that's that's uh, you know that's that, you know, that would easily be fixed. But um, it's interesting the way he's broken it up with the uh, that that uh, vertical angled piece with Jeff pulling Cyclops uh, away and trying to get him to you know wake up. Then, is course, he pulling him, or is he doing a mind meld? No, Jeff is pulling that, Cyclops away. It looked like he was pulling him away from the fight. Is what I thought. And trying to get him to wake up at the same time, like he's grabbing by his collar or, or his. Yeah. yeah. You can see a hint of motion lines if you look under Cyclops', yeah, Cyclops left foot. Yep. arm. Yep. Yeah. Oops, feet. Okay. It's and a they, hint. It'd probably be more clear when it was inked. Yeah. And this, and at the, the bottom of this page where we get Kitty is, uh, again, you know, she. It's not the worst face here. The one, uh, the one that's on the page across it, where she's saying, "I've got an idea." She just looks. Odd. Her mouth doesn't seem to be fit that face right, and it's huh. just. Uh, and then of course the, the right next to her, she's got this kind of frown on her face, makes her look like an older woman. But yeah. um, before we leave the page, I want to also just comment on the perspective of the top panel there, because normally when he he does scenes like this, we're looking at it top down. So. Th- at least from my memory. So generally, so a perspective like this is just really, really cool for me yeah. to kind of get this minds or this this ground level view of what's happening above, and you know, and then basically from Jaff and uh, Cyclops's view, it was it's just really cool. And I bet this would be glorious when it was when it's inked and colored. I just it's really a great perspective. And I don't I think I've it. seen anybody do this page. 
Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen anyone do it either. I um, actually I haven't seen a lot of ink pages lately, uh, unless I'm just missing them. But um, nobody wants to do all the argle bargle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that, or, the, it, or the burn crackle there. To your point, uh, yeah, that's what we call it. We'll call it uh, burn crackle. Uh, you're right, John. That's a that's it's not a typical burn shot. He does do, he likes to do a lot of high angle uh, shots. And you think about he must be. I mean, I would think if you're you're a comic artist, you've got to be thinking the way a filmmaker is. You've got to think how where am I going to put the where am I going to put the camera? And he's thinking, okay, I'm gonna put it low because I have to show Joff's arm coming in. But I want to have the fight in the background because if you had shown a high shot with them fighting, you'd have to have him in a small in the background. Then you, you feel maybe they're not going to you can't hide most of Joff. It's just his hand comes in. So I think it's like setting up a camera shot. Yeah, it's I love it. I love this perspective. This is I, a great scene as well. I'm wondering, though, if Byrne drew that on the page or if he drew that separately and then, you know, pasted it on. The, the Joff pulling Cyclops away scene. Oh. Well, possibly. I mean, it kind of looks like he's utilizing the space because if you were to take that panel out, it would just be a lot of space of the, whatever the rest of Joff's body is and then a view there. So I think it's a, a nice use of the space. Yeah. No, you still is. know who's coming in. You see his hair. You see his arm. Uh, but you don't see any you, the dead space that would otherwise just n not be interesting. So this really takes up that space with an interesting additional scene that um, moves the story along. Well, yeah, that that vertical panel leads your eye. You know, you're gonna you 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 go to Jane and Aurora, and then you're gonna you kind of go down, and then you see the vertical panel, and that leads you down to the bottom panel. So he's kind of yeah. leading you away through the page. So uh, and then. We get sleepy at Xavier at the bottom. I don't know if he's <laughs> closing his eyes or he looks like he's about to fall asleep. And, <laughs> uh, and then the next page we get a burn high angle. You know, this is the very kind of uh, shot he likes to do. And a lot of exposition. Yeah. But then on the next page, you've got Kitty taking the professor through the wall. And I think the way he did this, kind of giving you the cross section there, was really, really cool. And the shock on the professor's uh, face. I mean, she's phased him through something before, and she did that with the car when when uh, they first met the uh, Abascals um, mm -hmm. in the battle with the, that Sentinel. But uh, of course, you know, bringing him out, Gene sees him, and uh, I really like the way he's been doing Gene's face in this issue. You know, because you can see that that there's this maniacal whatever going on in her and that's driving her you know it's, it's, it's the phoenix personality whatever it is that uh, is is driving it not not necessarily Jean herself yeah Here, here's a question I don't know if we brought this up or not but it seems to be that Kitty and the professor when they're phasing through the wall are having a conversation can Kitty speak when she's phased Can't, how, is she, how is she pushing air to create sound. Well, he's... You, or, are they, or are they doing look, it telepathically? Look at the bubble. He's mentally talking to her, and then her head is actually not phased at this point, I think. It's through the rubble, and she's saying, oh. I, I don't know about that. I mean, because you well, can see... She had to be phased. When, she's, she's inside all that rubble. When she had to be phased the whole time, she can't... 
She can't be partially solid at the rest of her space. She, she can partially phase. Uh, I mean, again, the first time that, that she did it was actually the older Kate doing it in the Days of Future Pass, which would have been slightly before this, though it didn't happen. Um in, in this in this continuity here, but uh, the, the professor had been accelerating Kitty's learning as we've you know read in the, the previous issues, getting her to do certain things. You know her phasing has become second nature. Uh, you know in 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 a, a crisis situation, and her being able to take several people also. You know because if you remember at the very beginning, when she would first face, she would you know wear out and pass out. And now she's, you know, able to phase multiple people without, you know, without thing. It's like a muscle; it's getting stronger, and she's, yeah, it's like, you know, learning like her. Like Nightcrawler being able to teleport with more people, but right. Yeah. And and the the fact that she can talk or not that's that's a, that's a really stupid comic nitpick. But I was just wondering if that ever been uh, addressed. Obviously, you know, uh, they have to have with somebody to communicate, and and it looks like Xavier because his his bubble has got all the spikes around, it. like he like that's telepathic talk. Right, but hers has a single. Yep, exactly. Uh, it's voice. Room. So yeah, she so she does. I, I would assume. Yeah, I assume they would be. They would just be talking in their own in their minds, but. Um, so but when when right. she phases, does the air that's in her lungs, stay in her lungs so that she can use it while phasing? I mean, well, she, she has, has to take a deep she, breath. Right, when she's about when she's to phase. swimming. Yeah, when she's in solid matter she she can't breathe so she has to it's like swimming underwater so but what's the know, point of that, taking a deep breath then you would think yeah once she phased that air would phase out of her I don't know maybe her her cells stay oxygenated I don't, I don't you know I don't know. That's it's like everything goes with her to don't apply science here, fellas. That's exactly. It's yeah, comic that, science. It's because comics. Exactly. It works. Yeah. It's comic science, right. And then Spacow. Phoenix, of course, spreads everything away from the, the safe room and the professor and Kitty. I love that shot. And not just because, you know, you, you get this nice shot of Gene. It's <laughs> a nice shot. Yeah. It's a... It, uh, it's, the nice shot ruined by that sound effect. Spacal? Yeah, it's just too dark, too big, you know. Yep. It's another layer. It's uh, uh, Photoshopped yeah, no. on. Yeah. But it is a beautiful uh, shot, and I'm glad, and I like that it went from, that it's a top-down perspective on this. Yeah. And I, I also like in the next page when, it, when you know, Professor says, get us back inside, and and she says, sorry, I didn't think. And he kind of reprimands her. No, you didn't. You know, you were being rash. You know, think about You need to be smarter about what you're doing. Right. She's. Uh, you know. We have to remember she's extremely green. Right. She's, un, she's basically untrained. And I think that's one of the reasons why her face keeps changing in each panel. As a teen, you re, she wears her heart on her sleeve. Yeah. You're seeing what, how she feels, what she's reacting in every panel. So whether it's a horse face or an... Uh, adult face or a frown or a, a smile, you're getting more emotion shown on her face than any of the trained adults around her. That's how I interpret that. Good. I like that explanation. No prize, Kirk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think you're right, Kirk. She's, she's much more emotional, so she's going to, you're right, you're going to see everything in her face. She's not kind of battle hardened like the rest of them are, but. What did you guys think of, uh, you know, as we're going now, you know, Pablo starts 
freaking out and and his mom thinks he can feel Phoenix outside, you know, and his kind of vaguely undefined powers. Uh, well, I think I would, if I understood a little bit more about what what he can do or what what it is, it'd be a little bit more meaningful. But I, you know, we're still discovering it, so I guess we can't have it all at once. But yeah, and well, it's hinted at later. We're going to get to the job, make some comment. It's like okay. Right. Something that burns, building up to something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my more my, my point was when Alondra kind of snaps out of her. You know, she's she's uh, somehow the the room has been compromised. I don't know, maybe by them phasing through it or or something. I think so Phoenix, now, hit Phoenix in spreading away all the debris was able to you know get get rid of that. Uh, you know, it's probably got that same um, Rust-Oleum underliner coat that they put on all the cars that we don't want. <laughs> and, and Under, you know, that got ruined. What? Yeah, it's Psycholium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good name. Um, psychic paint. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, Developed by Richards International. <laughs> <laughs> or Stark International. One of the two probably did it. Maybe Hammer well, Technologies based on how quickly it failed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Where she's she's kind of come to and you know apparently not bashful all about being naked in front of everybody. Uh, she yeah, uh, you know she kind of goes this. Kind Although of power, Professor power Gray doesn't seem to be quite as embarrassed this time. He's like checking her out. Yeah, Look at that yeah, sight line right from his eyes to her. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, these people are kind of crazy. Uh, <laughs> and she gets the door open, and she's opening kind of the way Khan opened the door in Space Seed. Uh, she's kind of just putting her hands on it and pulling it over. Yeah, right. Uh, and then, that's a good image. That's right. He yeah. did do that. Yeah. Uh, and then, and it's interesting how she's when Peter grabs her to, to stop her, then suddenly she turns and she's, I guess, soaked up more than power. So her then her word balloon turns black, mm-hmm. and she's looks more like the whatever the bird-like phoenix that she is and she throws him down with a big clung uh and then goes after uh, goes after goes after gene my note was how is if if the gene phoenix is the phoenix entity we all know now that it's a copy she made a copy of gene gray and this is because gene's powers help her focus the phoenix power how does uh, obviously, Lalandra is not a copy. That is the actual Lalandra, correct? Right. We, we that. think. Yeah. We think. Or that's is what we she? Think. Now, now that we know what the Phoenix can do to people, do? is she? Do, I, that was my question. Why was Lalandra not copied? We don't know. Maybe she wasn't. My big question is how does she? How is she able to draw off the Phoenix Force? Is it because at one point it it was in, you know it possessed her or she was. She had it, so how is she able to draw it away from the actual Phoenix Force to to grab a little bit of it, so that she can become her Phoenix, so then they can fight? I would think. How is a Phoenix? Is it? Do you think the the gene part? It's in Phoenix that is kind of holding her back, is letting her have it. Uh, letting her have it, maybe knowing that this is the way that this can be. That that, that seems you know. likely. And and you know, thinking back, didn't the Phoenix? Make a duplicate because Jean's body was so damaged by the cosmic rays that she was gonna have to spend time healing. 
Well, she if you if you read you know later yeah, on when she flashbacks, it says, um, she says something about you need to. I may need you later. So I'm gonna save your body. I may need you later. I don't, ah. I don't know what it means, but, um, uh, and it also seems that if I remember right, when Lalandra, you know, because the, the the Shiar had somehow siphoned off the Phoenix Force from the copy of Jean. Which is what they said they were doing the lobotomy, and they and they didn't tell the X Men they were siphoning it off, and they were holding it and studying it, and then it jumped to Lalandra. Or did she accept? I can't remember if she accepted it or she was kind of corrupted by it, wasn't she? Yep. We, then, we're not exactly clear, but it was probably a little bit of both. both. Yeah, she. So, I, I mean, basically, being in the presence of that of of the Phoenix Force is kind of like being in the presence of a Horcrux. Or Plus, the remember, Lalandra is an empress that her one thing has always been to protect the Empire. So she might have seen this as, if I can wield it, control it, or manipulate it, then I can definitely continue to depose my brother, Deken, and stop my sister, Deathbird, from trying to take over the Empire all the time. I will have the power. Plus, she hates the scrolls. She hates the Kree, uh, you know... She's not this benevolent, you know, Queen Elizabeth that's just going to hang there and walk around with a purse all day. She, <laughs> she, she's a she's a conqueror, and I think she probably might have thought that, hey, I think we might be able to manipulate this and get rid of it, or or, or use it to right. protect I, the Shi'ar Empire. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. She, she she had kind of had good intentions. She thought I can control this. Wow. You know, through my will, and I can, and I can yeah. put this to our benefit. That was, that's hubris, though. That's that's ego. Well, that's, that's yeah. yeah, but that's just the downfall of anybody who does that. You know, right. they yeah. think they can, they think they can uh, control it yeah. uh, and make a better. Yeah. Now looking and I, at that, and I that... think once the gateway was established between Lalandra and the Phoenix Force, now she has a psychic connection to it that probably maybe the Phoenix. The Dark Phoenix probably didn't consider, so she's able to like, okay, I'm going to reestablish this, kind of like that psychic rapport that Scott and Jean had. Like, I'm going to reestablish this, and I'm going to try to pull it back. Right. But you know, it's a fraction, but a fraction of the of Phoenix infinity, power. a fraction <laughs> of infinity, uh, it's still infinity. Well, I think maybe it it, it, it establishes that Phoenix is is less a, an intelligent entity and more of just raw power that. Kind of, and maybe on a very childlike level, it seeks out individuals so that it can't, maybe it can't help having all this raw power that's out there. For to your point, John, Leandra has this connection to it, so she can siphon it off enough to make enough to go. And uh, Josh says that the, the Gene Phoenix is holding back. She should have been able to destroy Leandra right away, but something is holding her back. And that's why they get the big, the big conflict. Um, yeah. Now that the, the page where you see the two of them locked in battle, and Gene um, does the full Phoenix effect there on the mm-hmm. page. I wish that had been a two-page spread showing that. But Byrne has gone on record saying that that's his favorite drawing of the Phoenix effect. Right. And he said, "Please don't ask me why." <laughs> I, I love that I love that effect as well. I think it's really awesome. But I, I have is... to say, the image of Kitty at the bottom of the page looks like John Travolta from Mad Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I, I love how she says, holy cow, it's like looking at an atomic glass, you know, continue to look at it. You know, <laughs> yeah. right. Why, why is everybody looking at it? <laughs> but, uh, that's that's a panel where her face looks a little elongated. Yeah, I don't that, know that's, that's why I made the Travolta yeah. comment. Yeah. Oh, I thought you just didn't like Travolta. No, Travolta fine. <laughs> but our next page takes us to the <clears throat> Manhattan Comprehensive Hospital. They're comprehensive because they treat everybody. In yeah. every way. Yeah, in, but... For I everything. Mean, I mean, I actually did a, a search... You know, Google search looking to see if there was actually any hospitals with comprehensive in the name in New York, and there isn't. At least not like as as an actual hospital. There might be comprehensive centers. What? It's in the Baxter Building. It looks like it is. It does look like it is, but uh, it would have to be on the top top floors. But we know the top floors are used for other things at the Baxter Building. That's all the. Did anybody think that some of this exposition here was a little clunky? And it's typical comic book. It's it's for the reader, you know. When when Beast is talking about uh, Kirk's multiple, and I don't, I didn't like that. I had a, a really, and I think they talked about this before about what they call his multiple mutations. Is that makes it difficult? I thought, well, just because is it because he's he looks different than a human, and he can teleport, and he can kind of, you know, he's Blend got in a, the shadows and in the shadows, you know, which. I don't think they've ever considered that a, a mutation or not, or just, or just because he's got this dark indigo fur. Well, um, it's, maybe it's the kind of a, sh- a little shade casting on how he had a new power all the time. Well, okay, <laughs> I hope see, not. I, but I the, hope the not. thing is, if you look at the image of Kurt as he's standing over him there, you can see his face plainly. You don't, and, and the thing is, is that normally when you see Kurt, there's always shadow. Uh, on his cheeks, under his eyes, and, you yeah. know, under his eyes and, and around, and you know they somehow determined that that was a power that he had that, that like Dave Cockrum had given because you know that's his favorite character that he's created. But uh, in Burns on what Burns website, you know they've talked to him about this several times, and he's gone back and forth. But he said basically, I'm not changing Kurt's powers. But it looks like he is. So maybe he gets better. We'll see as we go well, on. I think they're issues. just calling it. I mean, if that's the case, you could say uh, uh, Lorna Dane's got multiple mutations because, I mean, let's face it, most up until uh, Morrison quietly came along, they started having really weird mutants. Mutants look like humans with an extra power. He right. says so. Most are just would have one single extra ability. Well, she's got green hair, and I don't think that's. That's a choice. She's colored her hair. Her hair is naturally green. So would we right. call that a mutation? Yeah. Okay. So that's she's got two mutations at least. What about Wolverine? He's got heightened senses. He's got bone claws. He's got uh, this frailness. You know, that would be multiple mutations. Well, so, I mean, the, the, with Wolverine's power, I always thought that Wolverine's uh, the, that his healing uh, ability made it so that his senses were always at the height. Of what they possibly could be, and that's why his sense of smell and taste and, and touch and all that are, are heightened beyond a normal human's. Um, you know, he is just at the height of of the physical perfection that a person could be. You know, so yeah. I, I I never thought that. And then the bone claws thing, I completely dismiss that. I prefer Burns' version of it, where uh, you know what what their idea was in the in, you know initially is that his bones wouldn't heal. 
like like you know like like the flesh would heal but the bones wouldn't heal so they had to replace the bones with the adamantium that's burns idea that, that it that, wasn't that handsome yeah i mean it, it, it his his bones wouldn't heal so that they went ahead and you know replaced all the bones with adamantium so like in days of future past when Wolverine is scragged by that sentinel and his flesh burned off his body you see a full almost uh, cyber cyborg type skeleton plunked right. down on the floor yeah and that's I think that's strong some of you you've seen it like in the film they, they did like he had strips of adamantium and I've read others they said you know he had molecules of adamantium bonded to him so that because if he was a fully metal encased skeleton how does he produce uh, red blood cells red blood cells you know um, he still has a spleen comic <laughs> book science it's, com- it's comic science right it, yeah it's, you know yeah it's but I, I don't I don't some stuff they don't like don't I don't want a, an explanation as to he's got multiple mutations like no you know if you want to say he's not recovering as well as the rest you know because Cap says yeah he's a grab bag of powers really yeah. not really <laughs> He's, he's yeah. kind of a demon-like guy. He can teleport, and he's got a prehensile tail, you know. But and and how would Cap know that extensively? Right. Because because the Beast has written up uh, detailed files on the X Men without. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that uh, the Avengers all have to read as part of their you know briefings, and they, so they know yeah. everything about about the Phoenix, about the Phoenix Saga, everything that's happened. I I, I kind of think that you know looking at the beast here that Byrne is trying too hard to put Hank McCoy's face on the beast you know and it's making him look a lot different than than the beast that we're familiar with as the blue fuzzy beast. But I mean it, it you know I've seen it in other images that he's done of the beast in in Elswen, but it's really apparent here. At least it's not cat beast. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's don't. Yeah. It's only talk about secondary mutations. And um, un- unfortunately, when I see Alex there, I see Hank Pym. Yeah. Wow. Well, <clears throat> but that's just, you know, the problems with having a blonde-haired guy in the comics. Yeah. They all look the same, especially if they got that standard haircut. Why do you guys think, and I had this in my notes too, why, uh, why does uh, Alex seem to lose control? Did they establish that he... He doesn't he, have his costume on. That costume his, his, is a stabilizing force. Yeah. Right. And that was right. established way back in the early X-Men when he first came out was uh, that the, the the suit helped him stabilize the, the cosmic rays he was absorbing and dissipate them or whatever. So I thought just it's because be he's not in the suit. That was courtesy of uh, Trask. Roy Thomas and Neil Adams. Did it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And uh, seriously, I mean, b- beyond Neil Adams, you know, Byrne, of course, does draws a great havoc in the costume. Are there yeah. any other artists out there that can draw it right? Because no. I haven't seen that. Mm, I don't think so. And I really hated the modern version of his costume where it's just like the smooth, skin-tight, you know, without the little flares on his head. Yeah. <laughs> that just doesn't look to me like Havoc. <clears throat> I just didn't like it. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a great... And, and it's a great visual, too, when he actually unleashes his power. Yeah, it's a lot better than um, in the like X-Men First Class, where apparently he has to swivel his hips in order to 
get that cosmic energy to come out. <laughs> Looks like he's doing a hula hoop or something. I don't know. And then, of course, yeah, Lorna, uh, the look on her face. And, you know, the thing is, is like for some reason, I see her just as I saw her back in the the Thomas Adams days there. It's such a, a really, really good drawing of Lorna, Lorna's face and the concern. This is a nice, I think this could have been your cover. Take out that top panel where uh, it's a close-up of uh, Cyclops and Job, where we just see Gene and oh, yeah. Lelandra fighting and, and uh, Cyclops in the bottom, in the, in the, in the foreground. Yeah. That could have been a cover right there. Yeah, logo so on top and had him, and hey, he could be saying, you know, saying something like, you know, stop or, you know, don't or something like that. But I think that could be your, um, that could be your cover. And that's a nice, it's a nice, uh, that old swirl he's done again. He's got the electric racer out to show this kind of, uh, which I would think would just be destroying the countryside <laughs> around him. I mean. Yeah, and then, of course, you got the Argo Bargle at the bottom. I think Argo Bargle and the electric racer should be its own comic book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it sounds really cool. <laughs> the Adventures of Argo Bargle and Argo the electric racer. racer. Sounds like Did a Sid Marty What's that, Kurt? Did you get the impression that the uh, mutants waking up <coughs> excuse me, are timed with uh, the Phoenix fight? Why are they waking up now? Is that subtext? I didn't think about that, but that they could have a connection there. I just thought it was just he's picking up the storyline and he's going to start moving it again. Uh, and, and if I remember right, you know, in later issues, what's happening in Manhattan actually takes place at a later time than you know what we're seeing here. They're not simultaneous, but I could oh, be wrong. Right. Interesting. And uh, keep an eye on Joff. I mean, here he still looks as nasty and ratty as he did when he first landed and fought Wolverine. But uh, he, he apparently has got a, a good healing factor as well, and you'll notice that over the next few issues. It was yeah. nice to see Byrne doing the surfer again. Yeah, but is it me or does the surfer look beefier? Than... He looks beefier than Byrne did him before. Yeah. Byrne always did him kind of long and lanky. My other question is, uh, well, I love the relaxing, chilling out on the surf there that, in the meteor storm. Uh, this entire page has been inked. It's, I, I don't know if it's ink or it's a darker pencil. He, he said he made, he did, he did it uh, uh, heavier to give it more definition. But yeah, it looks like it could have been inked. But no, those were that was pencil. Yeah. And what? Uh, uh, the Silver Surfer was trapped, this says, uh, near Earth orbit. Tell me that's outside Earth's orbit. He, he still has not escaped the bounds of Earth, where but, he's at right there. He can't. Uh, not yet. That's my question, but this seems like he's much further out than he was ever able to go. If you look at, if you look in, even in the Dark Phoenix saga, that, that one page where, you know, he shows up in Doc Strange and the Fantastic Four, you can see that he is way, way, way high above the Earth. You know, um, and and it, it, you know, there's nothing here that that says that he's any further out. But uh, yeah, that still looks. Uh, I mean, it seems like he's pretty far out. But well, yeah. maybe it's from it's from because he escaped in uh, Silver Surfer One, Volume Three. Maybe in that issue, it seemed like he was confined to a closer, like 
almost like the upper atmosphere that he couldn't get out. So maybe that's what I'm thinking that it was more of a, you know, I don't know. How Did you buy far, the Steve Englehart escape? What? Did you buy the Steve Englehart escape? You know, the the when Steve Englehart started that series with Ron Lim. I thought it was sub- pretty silly. Yeah, I thought it was just, pretty silly. That, that it's like, all they did was have the surfer leave without taking a surfboard with him, without using the surfboard to leave, and all of a sudden he was able to leave. Yeah, I thought that was... And it was Ben Grimm that came up with that. That's that's kind of lazy writing, I think. It's like... Hmm. But I, I love that entire time. page. I mean, obviously, the, 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 meteor, the meteors there is kind of an argle-bargle fest. And then that next... You know, as you see him go down, grab his board, and then go down, and looking down at the earth and seeing, you know, the patchwork of the the farmland and everything else there on the earth, I thought it was just a gorgeous, gorgeous shot. That's one I would really like to see inked. I mean, truly inked and colored. Yeah. Hmm. And the next page, we go back to the normal thing. And it's funny because seeing the surfer on his board there in the middle panel on the next page, I guess that's page 14. Uh, he looks more like the Black Racer as Byrne um, drew him in the uh, uh, Galactus Dark Side, the Hunger um, story. When when they when they did the, the whole crossover story back in, was that the late 90s or early, early 2000s? Definitely want to cover that at some point, but the, the surfer stance just looks so weird. Well, you lean forward to uh, into the wind, basically. Yep. Yeah, and I remember, in, like in the Fantastic Four movie, Rise of the Silver Surfer, that uh, that the surfer did poses like this. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, you know, totally un- unheard of. It's just I, oh, I, I I equate that that stance with another character. That's all. And does his board disappear on that next panel? Yeah, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he forgot to put that in yeah. <laughs> or something. No, Unless no. he's saying the surfer can fly without it, which he probably can. No, 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 no. No, no it's it's a manifestation of his power. Uh, he needs it. And I, I, my interpretation is that he's moving so quickly that it's blurring. Okay. Gotta, yeah. You know. But I thought he could fly without it. He doesn't because he doesn't want to expel his own, expend his own energy. He's going to use the... The slack. He's gonna use the board, but uh, you know I could be wrong. And you, uh, you've got my little time travel reference there. Yeah, he does. Yep. A, he does. A, you bet. He does a little Superman thing here, and yeah. um, um, and again, I don't know how this is not one. It should be drawing the attention of everybody on Earth because you know, <laughs> the neighborhood must be just be cooking, or at least being irradiated. Uh, so everybody's gonna die of cancer, but. Uh, no, they turn into mutants. Oh, okay. Well, that's, uh, that'd be yeah. cool. There yeah. we go. Again, we get a little more kind of clunky dialogue is when um, when he says, hey, you know, can you help me? He goes, yes, uh, I can. You are Charles Xavier, leader of the, of the human mutants called X-Men. Uh, what is it you need? You know, it just seems a little... Uh, maybe that seems a little formal the way the surfer has always been, but... That feels no. a little, little, little clunky, but um, I don't know. Speak- how it was- oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, speaking of covers again, that top panel would make a good cover with 
maybe oh, the Silver yeah. Surfer a little more enlarged, that's, seeing the Surfer even, come in yeah. a little that's closer. Even, and, yeah, that's even a better idea, because you would have, you know, be like, the fate of the world hangs in the balance. Guest yeah. starring Silver Surfer, and they'd show him the background pointing, you know, little arrow pointing to him. Yeah. Or fate of the Phoenix again. Fate, yeah, that's <laughs> even better, too. You know, I like on this next page how the professor has to get Colossus to put him down. I didn't understand. What? <laughs> I didn't understand that at all. No, I do, because, you know, it's like he, he he needs to have, like, that stability of, of, of the earth beneath him, you know, basically a, a flat surface to lay on so he can focus all of his energy on it and not feel like Colossus is going to drop him because he's moving about. I don't, uh, it, it's, I don't. it You know, it's like... I, for me, like when I when I want to go to sleep, I have to be laying in a very particular pose to sleep. You know, I can't just you know go on one side or the other. So if I'm in a car and I'm tired, I'm useless. I can't I can't fall asleep. I you know and, and it, it's it's ridiculous. I want to be you know, be able to lay down to go to sleep. And for the professor to be able to concentrate psychically. He needs the stability of being, you know, being on a, on a controlled surface rather than having someone carrying him about. And of yeah. course, that also allows Colossus to protect him should anything come his way. Well, it just seems to me it's like put me in my comfy chair. I need to concentrate. Yeah. <laughs> I can, that, it also I can gives Colossus that. something to do. True. And, well, I mean, I guess as a grown man who wants to be held like a baby, you know, maybe that's it. It's like, yeah. It's not very dignified. Put me down. Um, now, this next page is more of a, a psychic battle that's in the ether, the astral plane, rather than actually being, you know, out there in reality. Right. Do you think uh, Xavier is more concerned with Jean or Lalandra. I mean, this is also the woman she's in love with. Jean. 100%. The, the relationship with Lalandra is, is tainted already by what, what has happened with, uh, with, with the whole Jean situation. So, and, and you know, the, whether his love for her is romantic or fatherly, you know, the, Xavier cares more for Jean, I think, than he could possibly for Lalandra in this moment. Right. I, well, I, I want to think of this as a fatherly love. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, absolutely. I think that's 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 what Marvel wants you to think too. They don't want to. Uh, Let's not go otherwise. back to that creepy yeah. stuff. Yep. Uh, well, and it may be that if he feels she has got the uh, the lion's share of the power, that she's more the threat. Than she is the laundra. Yeah. So. Um, no. And it. Be- you know, the, Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say because I've we've read so much before and after, I can't recall at this point. Does he know that this is the copy gene, or he, are we still thinking this is real gene? It says on the next page that Xavier learns that it is a perfect copy okay. of gene. All right, and and that's when they're having that psychic battle, and then of course yeah. uh, Xavier. So up until this point, he thinks it's really gene, and then then he finds out. Right, and then on the next page, yes, Cyclops use his blast at full power on the two of them and I didn't it, understand that either I, I, I mean I, I like Scott but I don't think for whatever's going on that he wants them to just disrupt disruption of the field effect for even a single moment I mean just blast among them that's gonna separate them I don't 
I don't need a full power. I'm not sure Cyclops is that powerful to do to deal with these kind of energies. That well, well, once again, Cyclops' power is a manifestation of the cosmic power, just like Alex's is. It's just focused in a different way. And if he is around this type of power, he's he is using that their own power against them. Well, no, Cyclops doesn't absorb cosmic power. He absorbs solar radiation. Hmm. That's what I think Ohatmu says. He's like a living solar battery, and that's why, even though at night he can still manifest his power because he's stored energy. It's it's Alex that absorbs cosmic rays. They're immune to each other's powers, but I don't think yeah. they're both cosmic power. And I think what hmm. Professor okay. X wants is he just wants something to distract them, even if it's like a needle point. Something to break their concentration even just a little bit is what Xavier needs to get in... I think that's what he's trying to say, is that if, if you can just somehow dis- distract even a fraction of it, I can get in and do something. What do you think of this melting effect on page 18? It, it, it makes me think a little bit of Art Adams and Todd McFarlane's style of, of artwork, almost. Hmm. As they're melting and merging and... Oh, uh, the, the eyes or the very bottom where Lalandra is melting? Well, uh, all of it. I mean, it, um, you know, from uh, th- this entire page has this kind of, you know, a- again, it, it's, I can see that the, the coloring, uh, if you were to, you know, ink and color this, that it would be very diffused and very bright colors, you know? Um, and again, it makes me think of, you know, Art Adams when he was, you know, showing that kind of things in uh, the X-Men angles when, Terry Austin was inking him, mm-hmm. uh, where, where they were in Asgard and and uh, in Mojo's world. Well, the the bottom where the laundry is kind of melting away. Yeah, reminds me. I don't know why, but it reminds me of like Bernie Wrightson when he would do ghouls. You know, yeah. somebody who's kind of rotted flesh. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's uh, it doesn't at the top, but that bottom it just reminds me of that. Um, and you notice jeans back into her pl- uh, regular clothes no right. longer. I, I love the look on Lalandrix's Lala, um, face there as she's starting to lose it. that worried or that in the middle panel. Yeah, it's really, yeah good stuff. All right. Uh-huh. Well, do we think Lalandra is gone? I mean, if this was, again, we don't know. If we think this is a copy that was disintegrated you or we think it's the actual? You would hope it's a copy, but I'll... I'll... Right, evidence at this point says it isn't. But it's established, so I mean, that being established, you could easily, if you wanted to bring her back, yeah, later yeah. on, say, oh, that was a copy. The real one is. If there's you know, no body, I, there's no yeah. death. Yeah. Or, or the phoenix has put her in a clear, um, white energy cocoon that's inside that safe room, and just waiting to be discovered later on. I'm making this up. Yeah. You mean say those are all on the home world, Kirk? No, I'm I'm saying under the uh, mansion oh. uh, or someplace, just as she did with Jean, that she put her, you know, to save her in some place. We haven't yeah. seen her her thoughts, but that's one way to bring Lilandra back. That she's in fact in a stasis, whatever capsule, or they yeah. called it a cocoon in the original yeah. version. Yeah. Right. This is a nice, I will say it's a nice kind of emotional ending with her 
kind of reverting back to, except she's not the, because he says her childlike psyche struggles to free itself from a force of his oldest nature, but when, but when she, when I he guess, picks her up. Except she's back to her adult level. She's, you know, I guess whatever the, the Shiar had done to revert her back to being a child, that she is now Jean Grey, you know, and he gets, you know, but he only has a split, you know, moments, moments with her before she's gone. And I do love that, you know, that with Xavier at the end looking up, because we know, we don't, we know what's happened, but it's, you know, that look of shock that he's, oh, wait a minute, this is not this gene, this is a different gene. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I mean, the last page evokes, of course, uh, Neil Adams as well in the, in, the, in the way it was done, way it was drawn all the way down. And, of course, the, the images of the professor. And, of course, the surfer just kind of... It's almost like he's casually walking up with the, with the, his board in tow behind him. Right. Well, there, but it doesn't explain what did he do. Okay, the, he's containing the Phoenix Force. He's containing this fight between these two entities. And then it it looks like it tears itself apart. So is he containing that energy? Is he still containing it? Did he blast it into space? What happened to all that power? I would think it'd have to go somewhere. I'm pretty sure he absorbed it. Uh, that's a lot of power, even for the surfer, I think, to absorb. But right, you know. But you're right. He looks like he's just his 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 dark uh, just telling surfer. It, it, oh yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, there you go. There's the future story right there. Hmm. He would look like cobalt. He'd be all black and shiny. Um, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, I like how this this comes to uh, an end, and it's everybody going, Gene, Gene, and how do I put this? We know because we've read the next issue that the final shot of the professor is very significant, but it can also be read as everybody is mourning Gene. In other words, if you don't know what the significance is of this last panel. It doesn't spoil it for you. No, but I think Burns done a great job of drawing Xavier that he looks like he's heard something over his shoulder. Yeah, you know, that kind yeah, of yeah. And if you're not, you know, if you weren't paying attention, of course, like you say, Kirk, we know what's happened. If you weren't paying attention, you may be thinking he is just mourning too, but he, everybody else is Gene exclamation point, and he is Gene question mark. Well, I'm, so. it's it's almost comical the way this is because it's it's Scott the entire time going. Gene, 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 and then the professor, Gene, and then the the blurb for next issue, Gene. It's almost comical. I liked it. Yeah, no, I I loved it. I mean, again, you know, the 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 uh, his artwork is just amazing throughout the entire issue, Um, and of course, you know, we've 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 pointed out, you know, how he's doing certain things and. What, the 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 imagery that he's putting out again he's firing on all cylinders here this is him top of his game 70 years old and he's kicking butt man any any final words any final thoughts on this issue altogether guys no, i thought no. it was a good it kind of it, you know it it builds to 
kind of a crescendo, then it can it kind of slowly and kind of softly ends with a much much more emotional um, beat to where I mean this would certainly make you want to pick up the next issue yeah. just to find out what happened. So. And speaking of next issue, well, uh, I mean, you know, we've we've been on for about an hour and a half, a little bit more than an hour and a half. Do we want to cover the next issue now? Do we have enough time? And I'm, I'm asking for Kirk because I know he's got a meeting to go to. Oh, uh, I'm late for that at this point. I'd rather uh, read the the take a, a bio break and and then come back and keep going. We promised two to, to uh, okay. in this episode. All right. I'm willing to to go a little further. All right, well, we'll take a little promo break, and then we'll be back in just a few minutes. Okay. Be right back. All right, see you guys in two. All right. In 1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978... In an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2. An enjoyable film with some flaws, but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Found at 2TrueFreaks.com and Apple Podcast. And we're back. Uh, we are going to cover our second issue of X-Men Elsewhere, and I think Kirk is going to give us a rundown on issue number 15. That's right. We start with a, uh, without a, a splash page, we jump right in with a familiar spaceship that looks a lot like a washing machine agitator flying through space. <laughs> like in Star Wars, <laughs> it runs into debris where there shouldn't be any. The asparagus man pilot flies into the field and is sad to know the truth. Aldebaran is no more, but he cannot weep. Meanwhile, a figure approaches the submerged hulk of a wrecked aircraft on the bottom of Jamaica Bay. Namor is being guided by Professor X to search the ocean floor. Namor doesn't know what he's looking for, but the professor isn't sure either. Suddenly, Namor is propelled out of the water, very much like on the cover of the issue Namor 1, and ever since Byrne needs a flying splash page, he reproduces the same image. Storm reacts and lifts Namor with a water spout. Professor X dispatches Colossus to explore in his armored form, despite Peter's fear of transforming. He waits and delays and finally changes, and then blacks out from the pain while on the ocean floor. 
Peter, however, is lifted out of the water and set upon the boat's deck while still unconscious. No one is expecting a waterlogged Jean Grey who steps out of the water behind Peter. Well, except for us, of course. Meanwhile, Joff and Carla sit in a subterranean basement in the wrecked mansion talking about Pablo as Logan comes charging in. He texts Joff, who says his mind, his, Logan's mind, has been scrambled and still needs time to heal. They fight until little Pablo enters the fray and calms Logan's mind, causing him to collapse and begin weeping. Meanwhile, the Avengers are recovering from Havoc's awakening blast, which Lorna kept contained. Wanda is in an even deeper coma, and Kurt has teleported away in the confusion, leaving his stench behind. Jean, meantime, is drying out and discovers that two and a half years have passed while she's been in stasis. Namor relates to the X-Men that he saw a perfectly white canister glowing and was drawn to touch it. Jean sensed that it was an attack and had responded, blasting him out of water. Namor departs, saying, Don't call me again, Savior, or in other parlance, Don't call us, we'll call you. Gene and the team are flying back to the wrecked mansion in a queen jet. Gene doesn't know who the tween in the bikini is because she's never met Kitty before, but Oro makes nice between them. The team park the queen jet in the underground hangar and walk over to Carla, who explains off-panel what's been happening. They are not surprised, rather they are surprised to see Logan and Pablo playing on the floor together. Logan reacts to Gene. He sniffs her and declares, not Gene. The reason, he only knew the phoenix. Jean asks if she's the real prey. Shades of the clone saga dilemma that plagued Peter Parker as well. 30 minutes later, the team watch as Professor X prepares to probe her memory of her encounter with the Phoenix Force in the shuttle from issue 101. It's a variation of what we saw in the FF resurrection scene when they brought back the original X-Men, but it results in a more aggressive Phoenix. As Phoenix assumes Jean's form, Jean attacks, implanting her essence into the Phoenix, keeping her in check until Mastermind, uh, Mastermind undid the balance. And I don't recall the girl's name from the, uh, the, Ashley the Martin. controlled... Thank you. Little Ashley Martin and her mother arrive at the mansion to find it destroyed, looking like a garbage dump. Meantime, Scott surprises Jean with her old Marvel girl costume, which she immediately rejects as her parents prepare to remove her and take her out. Jean remains or reaffirms that she had left the X-Men when this all came down and that she was not about to rejoin them. Elsewhere, in a Star Wars cantina bar, three more asparagus people have found the lone grieving asparagus pilot whose name is revealed as Voot. They say they've been searching for him a long time. Next issue, Hearts of Stone. Well done. And Thank you. Very well done. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, now, all around. Now, on the first page, yeah. I was uh, referring to that as a washing machine agitator on its side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really what I think it is. And in fact, if you go back to the original uh, appearance of this creature back in, uh, I think it's Avengers 4. 4. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. at that Burn right has now. done his research, and he's based, he's got the right imagery. He's tying that character and uh, the asparagus people together. 
which I think is is really great research. And I don't know if somebody else has made this connection before, but um, until they were shown in what was it X Men one thirty five, whenever Gene destroyed the Phoenix destroyed the planet. Um, you know, we never saw the asparagus people again. So I think this is pretty cool. Well, it's, it's really nice that he's bringing back, as we, as we find in, that exact, that same guy, that same... The one that brought uh, back Captain America, one, basically. Right, yeah, yeah, the one that was, was stuck on Earth, and they helped him um, helped him get off in the, in the same, uh, this washing machine um, ship of his. And I, and I think Bernie said that he suggested the... Uh, this race because he said Claremont didn't know much of X-Men backstory no. or history Mm-mm. so he you know what not not that he's pulling from X-Men backstory but he's pulling from Silver Age and he pulled these people out um, uh, to, to use them again and did he did I see on his on Facebook that he had done a 3D model of this ship just so he could draw it the right way yeah he had created it, uh, I guess, in some 3D program, so that he would know how much angles when he was drawing it. But uh, I, I think you're absolutely right, Kirk. I think go this. Find an old washing machine and take out the agitator. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's exactly what that is. You know, it, it, it's funny you mentioned that we were, we were talking earlier about the the Mandalorian, and and Star Wars, and um, there there's a scene where a character is stuck out in the desert and he's got one thing with him. And it looks like uh, an ice cream maker from the 1980s. You know, those wooden tubs with the agitator thing on top. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think of this as well. (laughs) But uh, I digress. Please move along. Oh, that's as much as I've got, unless you guys want to dissect the page. I tell you, the the page, the second page there, um, where you see Namor down underwater in shadow... And you see all the plant life and everything at the bottom of the ocean. I think that is as detailed and as gorgeous as anything he's drawn lately. It it almost looks like it's inked. It's so heavily detailed. It's just a perfect it look, image. It looks nice. The 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 skeleton of the the ship. Yep. I, I think it's meant, it's meant to be all inked black, so it looks like he didn't take much care in drawing it. But I think it's just because the anchor would come along and just make that all black. It would, it would, there would be no shading to it. Right, right. Uh, but this falls a, a very closely to uh, is it FF two eighty six when this is kind of retelling a little bit of. I think they don't really touch on the Avengers, which was what two eighty two sixty three. It's mostly the the FF story, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Because when he's thrown out of the water, that's a pretty close uh, copy of the panel when he's thrown out from the. But I think that's from the Avengers, because he Namor was with the Avengers when he went down there, wasn't he? And uh, he was kind of propelled out of the water when he went to the. Um, Do which you is odd. Because which issue of of the Avengers that was? Two six three. Uh, I, I kind of looked those up yeah, last night yeah, when okay. I was my notes, um, because it's odd that, and maybe this it, it changed, but the it looks like the cocoon from uh, the Adam Warlock cocoon, you know? Absolutely. When, but then later when Byrne draws it, it looks more like a more like a several silver capsule. Right. But here he's drawn it uh, just as a white, uh, completely white, more of a polygon or whatever whatever shape I'm trying to say there but um, 
and I know that he kind of changes because you know when the FF story two eight two eighty six there was one page that was redrawn and rewritten and apparently it really upset him. Yep. They, he took his name off the book. Uh, and it was re, it was rewritten by Claremont and redrawn by uh, Bruce Geis. Yeah, Jackson Jack, Geis. Yeah, Geis. And so that it, I guess Byrne had originally had the Phoenix when the Phoenix is meeting up with Gene to be his words more selfish, a little more malevolent, malevolent. And I guess Claremont wanted to soften that up a little bit, so he changed it, and then that's why Byrne said, "You know, take my name off of it." So he kind of retcons that here. He puts back in his original intent, I think, and his um, flashback when he's showing it to us here. Then that was changed back when. Uh, uh, I don't know if that was. I don't know who's. I don't remember whose decision it was. If it was Shooter or if it was uh, probably Shooter or it had been Shooter because it would have could because. Uh, Claremont couldn't have done that on his own. Yeah, and I mean, Mike Carlin was the editor on Fantastic Four, but I don't believe he was editor on the X Men. So I think he was. It, it basically was pushed on them by Shooter. And, and you know, the thing is, is that the distinction there is that Burns' assertion is that the Phoenix Force is a malevolent force that came and you know merged with gene and used gene's humanity gene's humanity is what kept it in check and claremont is making it out like the phoenix force itself was benign and that gene's humanity is what corrupted it and i prefer the first idea myself Did I just kill the show? No, everybody's typing. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it was. Sorry, John. We we jumped ahead. We did. We kind of jumped right into uh, instead of kind of going page by page. I was just. It was just. This is a uh, an odd mix of you know of showing uh, re- rehashing previous issues plus changing them yeah. to what it was. Burn wanted changed and uh, everything else, but. But uh, you jumped ahead so fast. I was on the on the second page there. <laughs> I was looking down at the bottom, and there's a, like a little face in the bottom of yes, the ocean. Yes, I saw that. I was going to point that out. <laughs> it's like a doll head or something, something in yeah. the Argo Bargo. Yep. It's in the bottom right. So I was like, all right, there it is again. Okay, now we can jump back now, ahead. Is that a Pepsi can there more towards the left? It's some sort of a cola can. Yeah. Or bottle or yeah tired and then there looks to be like a a sewer hole cover a manhole cover or something there at the center but inside of it is something or maybe that's a tire i thought it was a tire but probably a tire yeah well i I got a question why was jamaica bay is polluted yeah i think that's what he's trying to yeah exactly say that there's debris down here (laughs) yeah roars makes it clear which is he would jump in the water uh, right. Why? Why was this uh, shuttle not salvaged? Because in the Avengers story, the whole way this whole thing starts is a plane crashes kind of in the same area, and it shows them hauling that plane out of the water. This this shuttle was was, was uh, you know crash lands in the water. It doesn't seem like they salvaged any of it. They didn't pull any of it out. Did they? Um, That's a good point. I mean, <laughs> I mean uh, 
Namor does say in the middle panel where you see him kind of going towards the weeds, he says, um, anything well, important would have been. That's to imply that maybe they gutted it and took anything out they needed it, but I would think they would they would have hauled the whole wreckage they out. Raised the whole only, thing up and only, got it. The only reason why they would haul the wreckage out is if they had questions of why it crashed in the first place. And well, they I think know, they would have to. I think the yeah. Well, they know why, but I think the still the, I guess the FAA. FAA would. Well, I I don't think they recovered everything from the crew compartment from the Challenger, when it landed. I know they recovered the the computer because, the computer was made by the company I used to work for back in the the nineties. Hmm. Um, but you but, would think in a in a bay and an active boating area like this that you wouldn't want some giant spaceship in the bottom there where it could cause this damage or something yeah. to Are you that's a tourist item for the glass bottom boat you would think so but and then whoever owned it um, Michael Corbo remember was this a government owned thing that, or was that was private? that was part uh, of Michael Corbo's uh, star core project yeah you would think they would want to recover the entire thing even if they stripped out uh, anyway, right. yeah. Well, I mean, there it's may a, have been it's tech It's an odd there. detail. You're right. <laughs> right. But but it it it, it so the story can't take place. They had recovered it, so yeah. you know we have to we have to kind of accept that and move on. And yeah, um, I thought Aurora's solution was a little um, complex. <laughs> it's like she does she can't stand to jump one. If she's gonna jump in the water, how would she save him? She does, she I don't think she can control water, so I don't know how. Uh, they uh, he expects her to to get it. I mean, I guess it seemed a, a very overly complex way to get him out of the water. Yeah, but it's to give her something to do. I guess. So many of these bits regarding you know Peter or Oro or Kurt, they're they're just to give these characters something to do. That's all. I love yeah, the, the image on page four where she's, you know, flying out to the water. Of course, I think we commented on this before, and someone made the comment they couldn't tell if that was Aurora or Namorita. But I love yes. the, the <laughs> fact that she's coming out of the boat and her flip-flops are falling back to the deck. If you look, you oh, see yeah. they, they've come off of her feet. Because when I first saw that, I thought, what is he showing, like, double images of her feet? And it's, oh, no, no, it's got the little flip-flop uh, pegs <laughs> there on the bottom. That's a great detail. Yeah. Uh, and I think to Kurt's point, the same with Peter. When he, he has Peter go in, and I want to know is how deep is this? I mean, Peter sinks to the bottom. How far is he going down in his human form? It looks like it if, might be 50 feet. If you go back to the first page, uh, the splash page, if you will, you're seeing the Hulk on the bottom as dark, uh, the dark figure of Namor. Come, yeah. But you can see the water level above him where he's just created a splash. So it's not terribly deep. Probably what, 50 feet. 20, at 20 most. feet? 50 feet. Because yeah. 20 feet, the but part of that shuttle would be sticking out of the water. Yeah. The tail 50 fin. feet down is still pretty far to go without a respirator or breathing. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, I'm sure he's. Um, and it, again, it just is a little character development here yeah. because we have to realize that the X Bender is still. You know, uh, Colossus is still relatively new as an X-Men, and he's and he's asking, you know, is the, the professor trying to test him? Is he trying to get him to push himself? And then we get the whole... But I'll uh, tell you, when I, when I was in my younger days and I did, you know, weight training and all that, and I was in really good shape, if I jump into the pool, even with a full uh, lung full of air, I would sink really fast. 
So, uh, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you, you can sink pretty fast if you are all muscle. And Colossus is definitely all muscle. Yeah, yeah, he's going to be pretty dense. Um, but it's really kind of... This page is just to give him a little bit of a character beep because other than that, he passes out. And then, of course, uh, you know, are we getting a little bit of Kitty's uh, maybe infatuation with um, Peter? You know, she seems pretty uh, concerned, pretty concerned that uh, that, you know, he's he's not coming back up and then he just pops back up. Well, he he falls over. And I think she's reacting to uh, Professor X, who, who says first, he exclaims Peter, and she right. reacts um, to him, I think, in response to that. Right. They don't know what's going on down there, except for Professor X recognizes that he's blacked out. Yeah. If we back up to the top of the page when he hasn't transformed yet, there's an awful lot of thought balloons there. And I I interpret this that the problem is all in Peter's in in Petey's head. That that yeah, he had a problem with his knee, but he's got a psychic block that he doesn't want to transform yet, or something to that effect. Oh, I mean, that this, may be right. And Professor probably senses that without being too evasive into Peter's brain, and he may be knowing that the only way for Peter to get past it is to force himself to have to, you know, because he, he's at a point where he says, I have to change because I'm at the bottom and I'm running out of air. Right. So he has to change. Then he has to, then of course, you know, the pain is too great and he kind of passes out. But um, I do like the fact that Ernie has given Kitty a age-appropriate kind of modest uh, swimsuit instead yep. of some little... I also like how she's gone outside the boat and she's just floating in the air. Uh-huh. Like she's, you know, like she, you know, she's walking on the, the the air molecules. That's that's really cool. And then Colossus is formed, being pulled up out of the water. And I mean, I think we all knew what was coming, what was happening. But this is one of those wonderful um, cliffhanger pages because you want to know yep. who's saying that's what I'd like to know. You know who it is. You feel who it is. And yet this was one of those pages. I think it, it, I, if I remember, it came out on a Friday and we had to wait the entire weekend before the next page. And we're all just like, Oh my God, you know, well, just yeah. show <laughs> us, you know, it's a beautiful, uh, splash of, of no pun intended of Jean Grey stepping on the boat. That's just really nice. Her telekinetic mm-hmm. powers right there all around her. You can see. And of course, and she's, we've seen she's her. She's wearing the evening gown yep, that she one. was wearing back in what? X-Men 99? 100, Way yeah. back. Yeah. That's yeah. so out of fashion now. She's three years behind. She's going <laughs> to get that. She got to get out of that thing. <laughs> you think this is Professor Xavier's boat or you rented this thing? Think he has a yacht? I'm sure. That... <laughs> uh, if I remember, it was Michael Corbo's boat. At least, I, I, again, I'm thinking back to when I read the X-Men. No, that was um, Michael Corbo's boat came later when the, during the second Claremont Cochrane run. That this boat it looks could... more modern age. It may be Namor. I mean, isn't he in charge of the Oro? Or Oracle? Oracle? No, uh, not, not at this point. Not at this time. This, this is before point. all that. 
This is back when. So Namor, this is the bat boat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, again, this is this looks like a much more modern yacht. So probably something that Xavier chartered. Oof. Well, you know, like all of their transportation, it's going to get trashed, like the Blackbird, over and over again. Well, there, it's not in this issue, but it's in this. Is that a red issue sixteen? The next one. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it's. Not, I don't want to give too much away, but but there's a point where Gene's father asks Xavier about something. He kind of gives him a solution to how he might have their home repaired. I thought that was a little odd. This, but what he tells him to talk to Stephen Strange. So. Yeah, that yeah, that's pretty bizarre. I'd rather have Tony Stark involved than Stephen Strange. I would think Stark Stark would do it. Than, I guess Stephen Strange magic house renewal, you know, house renovation. But yeah, um, and it's too early for damage control. Uh, that, it was damage control was Marvel, wasn't it? Marvel. Yeah, yeah but Marvel. you don't yeah. know how long they were. Just because you saw them the first time the issue came out, they were I think they'd been working in the background before that. So, see, I think they would have been the ones that would raise that plane. They would raise the spaceship. They yeah. would be contracted. They'd float it up or something. And but, so, we had Gene, and now we're back at the uh, the rubble, which was the ma- the mansion. So, yeah, I I, I want to hear uh, Don Cheadle saying, and now we're in Barney, Barney <laughs> Rubble Trouble. <laughs> I have to pull that from Ocean's, what, Ocean's 13. But, uh, yeah, notice Joff is completely healed from uh, from his, his uh, trip and uh, playing with action figures with uh, Pablo. Yeah, and drinking coffee, I guess, or cocoa or something. And he's wearing kitty clothes. Now I kind of wonder why he's still hanging around unless... It's because he hints that there's something. Uh, this is kind of a Wesley Snipes scenario here. You know, I always hinted that there was something more to Wesley other than him being really smart. Wait, what? And that's what. Wait, wait. Wesley Snipes? Wesley Snipes. No. Wesley Crusher. Crusher. Okay. <laughs> I was yeah. like, what? You had to fix that and edit it, wouldn't you? Well, also remember, this is just maybe a day later, if not even the same day. And where is he going to go? As far as he knows, his planet is destroyed. That's true. true. Well, it says not quite meanwhile. And it's not like he can fly himself. Gladiator had to send him, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think somebody's going to come and take him home eventually, but we'll, we'll wait. Yeah. I think what might happen is Pablo is going to be some kind of cosmic thing, and maybe he's going to have to take him off to training, or he's got to meet for some bigger assignment or some bigger to to fix some other problems. So I think that's going to be the big. Uh, for says, better or worse, he still has a part to play in this drama. Yeah, right. Says, right. So I have, yeah, I have not encountered anyone like your son. Uh, and says Pablo especially is he is much more than that. So, so maybe he's I don't know what he's going to be. He's going to be some kind of savior or something. Um, I agree. And, and yeah. Pablo is even paying attention to him. So, right. Yeah. And then of course this I, I mean, is where Wolverine comes in and he is still <clears throat> fried brain. <laughs> Are we Feral. to assume that that Wolverine is Commando under that gown? Yes. yes, that's an awful stance. 
Um, no, he's uh. Oh, it's designed to be reprinted on T-shirts to be excerpted in. <laughs> That's true. I got that too, though. And like in typical Marvel fashion, two uh, two characters meet and immediately they have to fight. So here's the action for the issue. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. And yeah, I, I don't have a problem with how Joff handles him, which is pretty easily. But as it should be, Pablo doing great. what he does the, again. We have no idea what 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 Pablo's deal is, and I don't know how long it's going to take for Burn to get there with that. Well, I think it's going to be when it's revealed whatever Pablo's role is in all of this that it's not going to be revealed as to what his power. They're just going to be vaguely undefined. You know, he kind of he kind of can do whatever the plot needs him to do. Exactly. He's a he's kind of a cipher. um, Exactly. You know, and he somehow calms down Wolverine, but he also can throw Wolverine around because Wolverine has adamantium bones and, mm-hmm. you know, so. And apparently you know, he makes him cry now. I guess. he revert, Maybe he reverts him back to being a, a kid. I don't know. You know. Or Logan figures out whatever is happening. Real is finally as maybe his brain is finally back in order because yeah. from the first panel on the left, to the middle, you see a, quite a change in the appearance. The rage. Right. So, yeah. yeah, interesting. And yeah. later on is in this issue, the, there'll be a question raised of exactly at what metal age is Logan, uh, because he doesn't seem to be firing on all cylinders the next mm. couple times we see him. But but he we'll does have his memories because he recognizes Gene. But yeah. I wanted to. Uh, point attention on page 10 to the very first panel where Joff is is coming into Wolverine and Wolverine is you know basically down on the floor the look on his face the rage and everything on his face the detail that that's on that is is just stunning and you know to sit there and see what Byrne was able to do with that just a a cramped space again we're looking at something that's been shrunk down a little bit because this is done on what 11 by 17 page um, and, I think and, it's 11 by 17, yeah. yeah. But we're reading it more of a 8.5 by 11 kind of perspective, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, I'm reading a, a CBR that I, that someone had made, um, or you're looking at it on the, the web page, and you still don't get to see it in its full, you know, uncompressed glory. But uh, the detail on Logan's face of, of that is just... Uh, I mean, it's it's painful to look at. Well, you, you, yeah, you've got your, your he's did a pretty good job of showing his struggle because in that bottom left panel where Pablo's kind of over his shoulder, yeah, and he's kind of reacting to him. You, you get that he is, you know, he's just on the verge of, you know, and even on the ground, he's he's just having a fit. And I think Joff is holding him down, isn't he? Yeah. Or is he? He's holding him down, uh, and then they, you know kind of touch heads and then he just kind of curls up and and, and maybe he's re- maybe Pablo somehow resets him so that his brain does revert back to being more of a child and is kind of growing up again so that that way he heals I don't know then we immediately cut to the uh, hospital that uh, Alex has just trashed 
Yeah, I'm on page 11. I'm trying to understand that first panel. Um, I mean, are we looking top down? Because I see what looks like cars in the street or a parking lot. But I, it looks like I'm looking at the side of a building. That's yeah, that flat. is a little confusing. Yeah, because I think that's the rubble. No, that's not the rubble. Because he says later it just it just fell onto a nothing. Uh, just fell onto a ledge. Right. Below this floor, no one was hurt. Uh, well, you may also be seeing the reflection of the cars uh, on a mirrored surface of a nearby building. But you're right; it is confusing at this point. Yeah. It looks. It looks like you should be looking down, but I, I can't right. tell. But it looks. I think you're right. It's. it's um, you're looking uh, at a side view, and that's the rubble below it, and that's the hole in the side of the building where the where balloons are coming out. But yeah, and, um, and notice how the grid and perspective lines are actually at an angle. You know, they're they're um, not quite completely diagonal to the page, not perpendicular, but yeah. they're they're off angle. Yeah. I'd say like 20 degrees. So it's really. Unusual, and there's a looks like a second set of grid lines in there that go off the the main line. It's almost like he erased and did it again. Mm-hmm. Well, there this may also be. Well, this is really going out on a limb, but remember the people in this building. Well, we're going to see her in about two more panels here. We have Wanda in an even deeper coma than before, and Cap has just said uh, last issue that. Oh yeah, you know she she has the uh, ability to affect reality. Like that's not like that's enough. Well, she's still in a deeper coma, and and has she twist? What's the movie I'm referencing here? Um, where where reality is is uh, you're in the dream. Oh, uh, the cell. Inception. 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 Oh, okay, Inception. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's what this first panel is, and that. Well, he hasn't said, he hasn't done anything yet, but I wonder if he's he's sowing the seeds for the uh, darker than than Scarlet. I don't um, think so. I, I honestly don't think he's going to take it that way. Uh, I, again, you know, I, I could be completely wrong, but he, he said, you know, first and foremost, this is an X-Men book. And, you know, the darker and Scarlet storyline that they did was basically kind of a Dark Phoenix light Yes. Thing anyway. I don't think he'd want to sit there and do that again after just doing the Dark Phoenix. That's right. But he's he's obviously said him something. The the, I mean the fact that it says that she doesn't seem to be touched by the blast. Well, none of them were hurt by the blast, but I guess they still were shaken by it. And she seems to be. So is she subconsciously protecting herself? Uh, I assume the vision just phased when the uh, the blast went off but 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 nobody uh, got physically hurt by that and that's the thing I don't understand because there's a lot more than metal in that room you know well it's it's you know it's 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 like magneto's powers he can kind of do whatever he needs to do you know um, but how, I don't know how she I guess she contained the she put a maybe she put a force bubble around him so that but it seemed like it all knocked him back, and the doctor says his ears are ringing. So yeah, and then you look at the ceiling there, and you know all the panels yeah, the and everything. Ceiling, ceiling I mean, it, it did major damage there. It did a lot yeah. of damage. Yet the people, fortunately, were not were not hurt. You know, either they got out of the way, were protected by their med bed, or who knows what. But uh, we assume yeah. that it was Lorna, but it may have been Wanda that protected them. 
Yeah, and that's that's possible because you know Lorna and Alex both uh, were waking up. Maybe Wanda was waking up too. We just didn't see that, and then that's, she expended herself too much. I think that sounds more of a reasonable explanation. That that's because what he's setting up. That obviously that. Nightcrawler woke up too and took off. And is it me or does that one nurse or whoever she is look like Edna Mode? She does, yes. Darling. Okay. <laughs> it's that ugly haircut. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe... No uh, Well, maybe instead of uh, the Scarlet Witch saving them, maybe she somehow augmented uh, Lorna so she could. Because she says, you know, she thinks she did something. She's yeah. I had practice. So maybe she was able to augment her powers to be able to keep. Um, but that's really that was just really a distraction to find out that uh, Nightcrawler has bamped the way. So yeah, I like the fact that someone someone mentioned the smell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, so I for inference, yeah. I, I figure it's kind of like someone has lit some really stinky matches, you know. What's that rotten egg smell, I'm sure. Yep. Okay, uh, so on this next page, they're back, I, I guess, uh, they're in, on the yacht at Jamaica Bay? Yes. Looks yeah. like they're in inside the yacht. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. They got yeah. the 3D chessboard from the Millennium Falcon there. I, I was wondering what that was. <laughs> it looks like Colossus, is, is he leaning against it, or is he just... Gra- no. Yeah. He's just gesturing over top of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and to what you guys were saying earlier, you know, in the Avengers book, when they came across this in the bay, it was covered in all sorts of, of crap and everything, and it didn't get to it. A mattress. What? A mattress. That's what they established. The cocoon appearance was just a rotting mattress. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, it, but yeah, it was, but it was covered in all the, the sea detritus, you know. It, it just... Uh, nasty and then when they got it back to when they finally got it out of the water and took it to Avengers Mansion that's when it you know uh, looked like this but only in, in the, the FF book when you looked at it in the Avengers it looked like a tube right yeah well also this seems to contradict itself that uh, Jean says when uh, the surfer reached out she sensed him Namor. and Namor yeah she uh, she she took it as an attack and she you know threw him out of the water. But I thought that seems to be what woke her up, Namor approaching her. But I thought the moment the duplicate gene died is what triggered her uh, waking up. Wasn't that sense either? But so I don't know either either way. Maybe she woke up and and. Because that's obviously what Xavier sensed her right. mind and the other issue. But um. well, now think about it like this: you know, Xavier is sitting there, and Jean and Lalandra are in their battle. And as soon as that ends, the Lalandra fades away, and then a few seconds later, Jean fades away. And the professor is going to try and look for her for any mental emanations from her and they're not there where Cyclops is, all of a sudden he turns and looks away. She's somewhere else, he realizes. Yeah, I mean, I think, but maybe she was 
when the duplicate died, she was awake in a uh, like a dreamlike state, you know, just barely awake. And then Namer comes close, and that's what kind of really fully wakens her to the point yeah. where she she can she can uh, kick him out. But it doesn't also because I know in the in the FF if issue they take the whole capsule back to Baxter Building, and she. Does she break out of it? She breaks that up there. It's actually, it's actually the Avengers Mansion because the Baxter building was gone. Okay, right. well, where yeah. we took her. Uh, but here, it seems like she gets out herself underwater. And then, so they never right. removed the capsule, uh, I guess, from this still in the bay, I guess. Yeah. Or it dissolved or whatever. And um, which I guess it's a good thing it didn't dissolve immediately that when she woke up, she would have drowned. But. Uh, but that just kind of gets, you know, moves along to uh, them flying back home, and then now that's that's the flying car. I don't remember them. I don't remember the X Men using. I remember the Champions using a flying car. But oh wait, no, no, no. The X Men did use a flying car yeah, back in Iron Fist, didn't they? They've had yeah, they've had this car, but it does look a little bit like the uh, the Champions car that yeah that uh, Warren had, but. Uh, I got a question for you. Right. So Namor decides, "Hey, my role here is done. Don't call me. I'll call you." What happened to the Silver Surfer? His job was done. Right. Besides, he had a bad case of cosmic indigestion. Join yeah. the panel. <laughs> well, he probably had to. He had to do something with all that power. Or, yeah. Uh, He's back, I guess, flying amongst the asteroids or the the, the meteorites. But his work is done. Uh, um, take those first few panels of when we first saw him. That's how he is now again. He just yeah. kind of like collapsed. Just like okay, asteroid. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Sleeping it off. Yeah. Um, He'll wake up with a hangover tomorrow that he doesn't believe. <laughs> and I didn't go back and, and, and kind of look, research this, but has Gene never seen? Logan with his mask off. She seems to like. Is that Wolverine? I only, I only saw him like once or twice with his mask off. Uh, or she barely seems to to recognize him with his mask off. I'm gonna so. go back and look while you guys are talking. I don't know um, if that's. I'm sure she's seen him with his mask off. I don't remember every panel that we've seen, but they. Yeah. They didn't they show the Wolverine without his mask until after, if I remember right, and I could be wrong. Um, in, in that whole 100, uh, you know, the, the the thing with the Sentinels, I don't think it was till after they pulled her out of the, the water, you know, when she did her Phoenix thing, that uh, mm-hmm. that we saw, you know, Logan without his mask, and that was when he went to buy the flowers. But wasn't he when, when he was trapped on, I think it was, it was the same storyline, when he pops his claws in front of him and they all were kind of shocked because I always... They assumed his claws were part of his costume and not part of him. Right. He wasn't in costume then. In fact, I think he was shirtless. Wait, when was that? Where when, was any were trapped on the uh, the station before? Oh, that's right. Because he uh, he also tore Jean's skirt. Anyway, that, that's it's just just um, we get a, a, a it looks like that looks like. Pablo and Wolverine are either playing with the action figures or playing patty cake or something. But he's, 
course, again, Wolverine needs to cover up because he's given somebody a, a full view of um, his third claw. I'm, I'm sure he has bottoms on under there. <laughs> I hope so. I hope he's got trunks on under there. Um, because otherwise, yeah, that's that's not. <laughs> it's a major, well, buffalo, wait a minute. major buffalo shot. Wait a minute. Look at how his legs are crossed. He's got uh, one folded underneath him. Okay. And right. he's not so, facing the rest of them. Yeah. So I think Vern was aware of that. But uh, he, he, over the next page or so, he seems to be very, very simple, and he doesn't say anything more than Gene, Rrr, Snuff, not Gene, not Gene. And there's no further conversation from him. It's, he's almost like he's almost hope-like. He's almost re- regressed to a very animalistic. And yes, guys, I, I want to interrupt. Uh, in uh, X Men '98, the very beginning is them in you know New York City for Christmas, right? And everybody's in street clothes, including Logan. Well, maybe she doesn't rec- recognize him by his cowboy hat and his bolo tie. Well, because yeah, he's basically got a jacket on with fur, you know, with fur around the head, but uh, no hat, no hat on. Hmm. Okay. But we also awesome. see Nicholas and the Contessa, and I think Matt Murdock. Anyway. And, and another consideration is remember she's coming out of a coma state too, yeah. so she might yeah. be a little befuddled. Yeah. She's gonna be a little rattled. I think the Wolverine sniff that. I know it's supposed to be pretty innocent, but it looked just a little creepy when he they're kind of nose-to-nose and he's sniffing her, he's snuff. Yep. Um, that's yeah. a little, you know, but... Um, you know, and she brings up a good point that, that am I really Jean Grey? You know, how do you know it's like, how do you know Far what was destroyed was the... How do you know I'm not the copy and that was the real Jean, you know? So... No... I, I engaged in a conversation about this, and I don't know, was it with you guys, or maybe it was just on the Burn Forum? Uh, they were talking about how Wolverine would not say that was not Gene, but then other that he would know the difference. And but the, some of the discussion is, and I and I, <clears throat> I think I agree with it is that he also barely knew Gene at this point. And his senses became attuned to the new gene throughout the time that he knew her. So well, that's right. why and he's that saying that sense. this is not gene because he only knew or he mostly knew the Phoenix gene. And that's who he really fell in love with. Right. And, and that's where we're, definitely where Burns going. Um, but when you look back at the issue where, you know, after Gene comes back as Phoenix, so that that right there, basically, you know, she's in the hospital, and everybody's worried about her and everything. And Logan, at that point, is is saying to himself that he is in love with her. Yep. That you know, and this is you know, I mean, the Phoenix part has only been there maybe a couple hours at best, and it, the the real Gene is the one he's been around all this time, and then all of a sudden he feels, you know, he says he's in love. This is the, the Gene that he cut the skirt on, the Gene that, you know, they they did all that up in space. That is who he fell in love with there. But since then, the Phoenix, you know, comes over and, you know, adds and changes and modifies who Gene is. 
as far as Logan is. And so, you know, up until, you know, 137, he's around this different one. And that's what his love morphed to, I would say. But is, but is he reacting to, I think it's deeper than him. It seems to me he's reacting to her scent. And yeah. if the other gene was a copy, that I would think they would, on a fundamental level, they would smell the same because they're the same person. It's been how, how accurate or how close the other copy was. But it seems to me that he is, <clears throat> his senses are tuned a little finer, that he's not just her smell, but... He's picking up on something like almost her vibe that he knows mm-hmm. that this is not um, the same gene that he fell in love with. Or, I mean, could you even question it was in some way was the Phoenix influencing him to make him fall in love with her? No, I mean, I, I, I doubt that. I doubt that. Yeah, but, I, yeah, yeah, true. But and I thought we established from reading Origins that he was attracted to Gene because she reminded him of. And I can't remember her name, but the redhead that he kind of, when he first went kind of feral uh, in that story, uh, that he kind of fell in love with her, that that's why Gene reminds him of her. That's why he kind of fell for her. Hmm. But um, I still I mean, look it, back it, at this image it, on page 14 where he sees her for the first time, and, and it's so haunting. The, the look on his face. Yeah. Yeah, he's... And, you know, and it, well, it's that surprise, and then it turns to, wait a minute, and then he kind of turns his back to her. It's like, no, it's, it's almost like... Almost like a dog rejecting its its, its owner. Right. It's like, no, yeah, you're, exactly. not, you're not... You're not my... You're not my human. Um, right. And that... And that, that... Maybe that's what's putting it down in her mind. You know, am I really Jean Grey? You know, she'd have to... You know, and that would... And that's it. If that's something Byrne explores later on, that's pretty good. I like the fact that she's not sure. You know, am I... Am I me? You know? Yeah. Um, but Wolverine reminds me of Zathras on Babylon 5. Huh? Not the one. Not the one. You know? <laughs> right. That's, that's a deep hole. <laughs> and then we get to the flashback, which is what... It's kind of a rehashing of FF two eighty six, but Byrne puts his original version, his version back into it. I hate um, that 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 pointy entity look that he gives the <laughs> Phoenix there. For some reason, that's always bugged me. But that's just me. Mm-hmm. Well, she also says, "I know you as as the." Phoenix materializes in the shuttle, mm-hmm. and Phoenix responds, "Yes, we have encountered each other before." What is that? When she knitted together the uh, the nope, crystal, that, that comes later. It's been that, hidden years. Yeah, it's in hidden years. Okay, yeah, I'd say the same way, Kirk. I wasn't sure about that either. I didn't know what the reference was. Yeah, let me get the issue number here. It's like six or seven, isn't it? I, I'm just going by memory. I haven't read it recently, but there was a uh, nine, I don't, issue nine, nine, like a phoenix. And I, don't, I don't remember the exact how the encounter went. I'm gonna have to pull those out and read them. But yeah, there was a minor encounter of some sort. So it's almost like they were destined to always be. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Connect, connect, connected, linked. Yeah. Whatever, you, whatever you wanna. Um, uh, and the next page where she's kind of forcing her, when you see her kind of, they're kind of putting her in, she's creating this cocoon around her. She's creating that cocoon. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah I just noticed that. Uh, which I would think that the, when, when the Phoenix Force kind of dissipated and that would have, the cocoon would have 
disappeared too, and she would have been suddenly in the bottom of the ocean, not able to breathe. But um, you can that's, see how burnt, burnt is changed. What if? <laughs> yeah, burn. Uh, yeah. What if? What if Phoenix drowned? Uh, you can see how burnt is the. Uh, you can see his original pencils. How he did, had a different look for the mouth, almost like it looks almost like she was smiling. Which and panel? He, uh, Two panel. The right panel top. Where she's saying, it's oh, yeah. like before, I can feel the pure evil in you. Yeah. I'm um, just kind of forcing her for a... Uh, uh, it's, this reminded me of uh, Silver Star Banshee. Trek TOS. <laughs> well, no. Uh, uh, what little girls are made of? When they're making the right. duplicate like Kirk. And oh, Kirk yeah. is yes. coming up with all those racial racial yes. slurs. Yeah, I spot. thought of that too. Uh, I thought of that <clears throat> immediately. And I almost referenced that in this in the synopsis but I thought eh I'll let it go do you, do you guys remember in the X-Men uh, the classic X-Men when they were reprinting all of these and then they were doing those little backups yeah mm-hmm. and there was yeah. a backup of uh, this scene uh, scenario as well but the artist then and I, I don't remember John, John Bolton. Bolton John Bolton yeah uh, he drew Gene like devastated by the cosmic rays and like no hair and yeah. her body was just completely de- <laughs> practically decomposing which was a, a, a disturbing but interesting and probably more realistic visual uh, which I thought might have been cool here because it, then it shows that yeah she did need to have healing and stuff because the yeah. cosmic the radiation had destroyed her so much but it was just an interesting little other take on this scene uh uh, from a from a different story, but that that particular story painted Jean as desperate to live and willing to make a deal with the devil, right, to survive and and you know basically showing a human foible instead of you know humanity at its finest, right? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. I see that. Now the bottom of this page after Jean you know says you know she 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 shoves her essence into the phoenix. Well, I love that because, look, you can see it's like the final bits of the cocoon are coming up, and she knows that she's got only Second. minuscule seconds mm-hmm. left. Yeah. That she's like, all right, you want to be me? Then be me. And she just, like, pushes it into Phoenix. Because look at uh, the Phoenix entity. She's she's reeling. She's pushed back by yeah. it. So, yeah, th- that was that, that's a really cool panel right there. Well, what I really like is this next panel where it says Oblivion, and you can tell that Byrne has put something else there. You know, when I first was reading it, I thought it was just like a page smudge, but I was like, wait a minute, this isn't printed. This isn't, you know, whatever is here is here on purpose. And so these little cloudy images, half images or whatever they are in the background, they're there on purpose. Yeah, I I can't. I, I, I can't I'm curious if this, it. Yeah, if this was inked, I wonder what. The, I think it's just better if it's just a white, a white. And maybe he erased something he had. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're but, saying too. There are, I, there are some definitely circles there of very minor shading, and maybe maybe if he had it inked he would have specific colors in mind or something about it yeah or it had been like a wash or something but yeah. I uh, but I like I, it just white yeah I think that works because that's what it is it's you know it's just like everything goes white for her you know and she's 
like the asleep on her coma. Flight whiteout issue. Yeah. <laughs> and and Marvel would deduct a percentage because it's like this isn't art. <laughs> this page rate. They, they paid him for the snowblind pages. They paid him the same page rate. Did they? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I... If I were Marvel, it worked. I got something like that. That was like, that no. was all Shooter too. Shooter was the one that said, "No, that's art. That's the way he did the art. He's getting paid for it." Okay. Wow. <laughs> okay. He also knew that if he he objected or if he didn't, he was going to piss off one of his his major artists. His his um, his hot commodities. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was the right decision to pay him myself. Do y'all remember? Um, and I don't remember. I think it was on Kids in the Hall. They had a segment called Deep Thoughts with Jack Handy. Do you remember yeah. those at all? I thought that was uh, was it Kids Saturday Night Live. It yeah, might have been Saturday, Saturday, yeah, Saturday Night, Night Live. That's right. That's right. This next page makes me think of one of the, the funnier Deep Thoughts that they did. Because it's got Ashley Martin and her mother pulling up in their car and, you know, opening up the gate. She's using her powers because the gate's got an electronic lock, and uh, obviously nobody's ringing, the, you know, answering the the bell. But they pull up, and of course the the mansion is in ruins. And I keep thinking about the the Jack Handy deep thought where he says, "I once told my nephew I was going to take him to Disneyland, and instead I drove him to a wrecked building, and then told him, oh, they must have torn Disneyland down." Oh, God. <laughs> That's like in uh, National <laughs> Lampoon Family Vacation. They get there and it's closed. Yes. <laughs> Park's closed, folks. So I guess I should have told you so. <laughs> well, this I think this is odd that they kept, you know, when they, you know, they break and enter. But she's like, oh, well, he told us to come in. It's no problem. And they come and they see the ruins. And she says, did we come in the wrong gate? Is this the garbage dump? Well, <laughs> you were just talking about how beautiful this place is and how immaculate. And it's this, his, you know, his ancestral home do you think he just has a huge garbage mound like that somewhere on the estate that they just throw all their trash I mean, no way <laughs> I just thought the, it should have been more like oh my god what happened not is this the garbage dump I love uh, as you see the cars driving on the driveway the cracks actually on the driveway you can see that and that's probably yeah. happened as a result of all the activity that's gone on the mansion I, think being just, I think it's just an old, old or driveway. It's the age of the driveway. Could be. It's yeah. a nice touch. It is a great yeah. touch, though. I mean, this page, is, as mundane as it is, has a lot of really, really good detail. Because that, actually, if you look at the top, when they're at the gate, it yeah. doesn't look like... It's Probably, if it's this old a house, it'd probably be decomposed granite. It wouldn't be asphalt or concrete. Right. And that's probably what they're driving up, so I don't know what the cracks are, but... Um, um, but no, they are not at the garbage dump. That is the uh, Xavier's house, <laughs> or was, or was. Yeah, now it's a. Uh, now it's a. Uh... It reminds me a lot. And this is a side story, but we went to. Um, there's a big Goodwill clearance uh, clearance uh, shop here in Vegas, and I never knew Goodwill had a clearance area. But you go in, and it's everything that that goes to the Goodwill stores. It doesn't sell, so they bring it to this place. And they just dump it into bins. I mean, they just dump it like you would dump a garbage uh, right. dispenser. Right. And everything is sold by the pound. It's $1.49 oh. a pound. So you just load up whatever you want and push it onto its big weight. And whatever it is, you get it for $1.49 a pound. I'll be. 
and it's just piled up like this, just people just rummaging through this stuff. It was really kind of crazy yesterday. But I have a neighbor down the street that has a garage sale every three weeks, and I bet you she would just go there, load up, and and put that in her garage sale. Five dollars a pop, you know, for each item or or whatever. That's her main source of income, I think. Wow. Well, this next so page. So next to the last page. This is sort of the coda. This is the end. Yep. And this, yeah. of course, the Cyclops in his turtleneck. Um, and Jean, of course, talking, and she's getting all caught up. But uh, the, the the big point of this, of course, is Jean has left the X-Men, and that's what she plans to do. Yeah, she had. At, at what point did, because I know they did this in the films, and I think they started doing it later in the books, did she kind of stop becoming Marvel Girl after she was Phoenix, and then when she was Phoenix, they called her that, but then she just became Jean Grey. She didn't have a code name. They never go back right. to calling her Marvel Girl. Because she wasn't right. a girl anymore. I mean, you're talking we'll from X Marvel, Factor Marvel on. Woman. Whatever, what, give her a new name then, but she just became Jean Grey. You know, even yeah, in the yeah, I noticed films, that. She was Jean Grey. So, but, yeah. but I'd have to look at the Marvel Wiki to see what it says about her and her identity. So I'm going to Google that while you guys are still I can talking. understand not wanting to be called Marvel Girl, you know, but come up, you know. Call yourself, Marvel you know, Woman's not bad, not good. <laughs> Marvel Woman, yeah, you can't do that. But, you know, call yourself call yourself Phoenix or call yourself, because you, you did kind of rise from your own ashes, you know. Call yourself yeah. the Phoenix. Yeah. Um, Alias is red. Except they already spring. had a Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, they, they, they the aliases they have on the Marvel Wiki are red, Dayspring, Genie, of course, Red, Psyche, or Psych. Psych? Yeah. I think that was I think that was from the the circus stuff in um, right. Oh, what twelve? That was her name uh, when Mas- Master Mesmero Mesmero um, captured them for the yeah circus. Miss Psych. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Marvel Le Fay. What the heck? I don't know what that is. Uh, Marvel F.A., The White Phoenix, White Phoenix of the Crown, uh, and Red Riding Hood. So I'll, I'm going to let that go. Oh, there you but, go. Uh, yeah, go with Red Riding Hood. <laughs> but yeah, so she never really you know, went beyond the, the true Marvel Girl uh, name. Because yeah, you just can't, I can't see them calling her Marvel Woman. No. Oh, DC but... would have sued. <laughs> well, I mean, Kitty had four names where she settled on uh, Shadowcat. Shadowcat. Right. Um, but. Yeah, they could have come up with something. They could have come up with something, but, but that was just. Uh, a, I really like that Byrne remembered this part. I mean, I, I don't want to see. I, I love her as part of the team, but. And I hope that she'll come back at some point and with a real code name. But I'm glad that he kept this continuity aspect of it. That's a really good touch there. Yeah. Um, well, she and, says later. I think. I think the next issue she tells because Scott, you know, Scott's like, "Hey, everything's back to normal. We can yeah. get on with our life." And he's like, "She's like, no. I remember I quit the X Men." And she yeah. says, "I'm quitting the X Men. I'm not quitting you. So like, yeah. we're still together. I'm just not going to be part of the team, or I'll come in on special missions and things." Yeah. Right. Um, which is fine. You know, that's you know, because you've got to have a new team. 
that you can focus on. And, you know, so I think, uh, I don't know what his, you know, what his plan is, you know, there, but you're, to your point, yeah, I like the fact that he kind of pulled that thread in. Yeah. And of course, Gene's mom is like, happy. Yeah. She's like, oh, happy. Right. You know, all right, you. <laughs> Let's get you out of here. Let's go back and rebuild our home. Um, and then we get to the broccoli people. And I, like I said, I like the fact that this book is the guy from Avengers 4. Is he the one that we assume is flying the ship in the beginning? Yeah. yeah. yeah and these is. other guys are just other survivors that have found him. Yeah. Do, yep. do you kind of almost expect to hear that song that they played in the cantina from Star Wars? Absolutely. In this, wherever they are here. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lucky's got to come up with this elephant guy that looks like he's, I guess he's a bartender. Looks like he's washing glass. Right. Uh, and they ask where he is. He says, he's been trawl-faced tr- trawl for weeks. I love that. Kind of um, <laughs> That's going to be my new, my, our new word, trawl. And everyone's like, what? Yeah, kind of, there are only read, three of them, right? I think so. Yeah, the background of the other alien races pictured around them behind the shoulders. Is that uh, is that 3PO over uh, over his left shoulder? His between the uh, boot? No, it, it doesn't, doesn't like... seem quite as rounded. It it almost it's, looks it's... like Frankenstein Jr. Yeah, that's it. And it's then, not Raj. You think it'd be Raj, but it's not. Yeah. And then there's a, a, a something below that looks almost like Marina's face a little bit, but something weird coming out of the mouth. Yeah. Right. Or your chin. Yep. That robot almost looks like Robot Man. Um, yep. Well, I recognize the other ones on the other side of them. Burn has done those dangly um, tentacles off uh, another race. I've seen that somewhere before. Yeah, as far as I'm not a puppet master in there somewhere, he loves putting those in there. Um, yeah. yeah, I was thinking the robot guy, and going back to him, he kind of looks like Iron Giant, too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So that's how this one wraps up. Yeah. We've been going and for we're... about two hours, guys. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I'll say that this one is almost the, the slice of life kind of issue. You know, there was just a, a, a whole lot of exposition, not a whole lot of of things actually happening. Though, aside from, you know, getting Gene out of the water, it was mostly just catching everybody up on everything. It was, a, yeah, it was a catch-up. It was a catch-up and just furthering, you know, the, the things with the, the, the hospital in New York, pushing yeah. that a little further. You know, this is the only really, you know, the bookend with this in the beginning with these, the, the asparagus people um, to uh, push this. And I don't, you know, I don't, I have, I've read 16. Now, 17's that out, right? No. No. Or has he been nope. putting pages out, right? No. Nope. No, no oh, okay. not until December. He's, he's Okay, so so after 16, nobody knows anything, right? Nope. Okay, okay. So it's interesting where uh, where he's going to take this. So. Yeah, and 17, yeah. I mean, 16 had a lot happen, a lot of really cool stuff, and then uh, some flashbacks that I felt were kind of almost unnecessary, but... Uh, yeah, and uh, if you've been on Burns' page, um, there's a a, a a section in a forum called Methadone, 
and he's been putting other pages that he has decided not to use in the story anymore. That's he had shuffled a whole bunch around, changed plot plot lines around, and that's why uh, also he's taking the month of November off and putting pages out, so he can kind of get himself you know back ahead, like four issues ahead. Um, but the pages that he's put out so far that that he's put on there are really pretty cool. One of them is a, an aborted scroll plot line. Yeah, I saw that. That he took him out because he he knew the, he said the scrolls were kind of taking over the story. Yep. But uh, and then I'm trying to remember what the other one is, so I'm going to pull that up right now. But in the meanwhile, somebody tell everybody how they can they can uh, give us some feedback. Uh, I will. I will. Uh... Well, we, we, we always say in every show, we, we, we appreciate feedback. We want feedback. Uh, we want people to tell us how we're doing. Uh, let us know if, you know, if you like the format, if you like the length, if you like, or if you don't like the format, you don't like the way anything, anything. We'll take good and bad feedback. Uh, you can leave us uh, feedback on our Facebook page. It's Third Degree Burn. Or you can g- uh, email us at gottagetburned at gmail.com. Uh, we have a Twitter account, but we don't really we don't have much of a presence there so <laughs> we apologize for that but uh, I think and tell us if our interpretation is wrong if you have a different interpretation of what some of this means or the significance let us know yeah we're not we're not holding ourselves up as the burn experts that you know what we say is absolute you know it's all open to interpretation so if you say you know people see stuff we're not saying let us know because that can open up a whole new discussion on things Yep. And don't forget Absolutely. to uh, uh, give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We can really use it. That's right. Now, uh, so I did uh, go back there and take a look. Now, the first page that he posted up is actually uh, Sue Storm and um, Spider-Man, or the Invisible Girl and Spider-Man, uh, running along to uh, check on Franklin, who's being looked over by another type of Herbie robot, a med rob, or med robe, whatever she calls it, that Reed created. Uh, but I a very nice page, were, especially Spider-Man running sideways on the wall. I thought those were pages he decided not yeah. to include. That's right, because it was part of yeah. the, the scroll storyline that he decided not to utilize. Yeah. And then the second one he did, and I'm going to have to scroll, move forward several pages, because I think he just posted that. It's a really cool page, though, and I would like to see him continue that story. <laughs> Well, you know, another thing that he had stated uh, in his notes for um, issue 14, and it, it, the other thing we got to remember is that issue 14 was being put out right at the time when the hurricane hit, and uh, his power got knocked out for, what, a week or so. Uh, and so he he went like uh, several days without being able to post pages, and then he just dropped them all at once. But uh, he, he was getting frustrated, you can tell. Yeah, the uh, the second page is just all scrolls all the time. Uh, some really cool imagery where you see them, and they've got apparently got the Fantastic Four, um, well, Reed, Reed, Ben, and Johnny, not Sue. And all of the scrolls sitting there saying, find her in some way. She's the most dangerous of all. And um, they're sitting there looking at their scanners, there's a lot of scrolls on this ship running around, and they look a lot more like the original scrolls instead of the big, bulky, muscular ones that we see later. And uh, their scanner says there's another ship in orbit, and it's not of Earth origin. Uh, 
I think it, it is. Emergency stations, get us out of orbit. Commander, what about us? You are on your own, he tells them. So apparently they're talking over the scanner. He's telling the guys on Earth that they're on their own. Unfortunately, this is a storyline we'll never get to see. I mean, hopefully he'll he'll show more pages. He may, stuff. yeah, and he may cor- he could incorporate that into uh, but, something. Now the other thing that he did say in all this is that he's kind of gotten you know some inspiration, maybe that once he runs out of stories to do with uh, X Men, that he'll go and look at the commissions and tell the stories behind the commissions. Ooh, that would be fun. Yeah. Now, uh, he did post another page today uh, out there in the Methadone feed forum where it shows Kitty uh, phasing through some walls, and she is really swimming through the building, and she comes across uh, Wolverine, who's attacking Vuk. Wolverine in full, in, in, not in full costume, but in costume. Uh, without his mask on, but Wolverine is, he's got his arms up, raised up both sides, flexed, ready to to really pounce on uh, Vuk. And Kitty, of course, like I said, she's swimming through the mansion uh, in full costume. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, Great. that's that's a it's a beautiful page, but um, it was uh, completely reworked. We'll see a different version of it in a while, so it's kind of a sneak peek of what's coming up in a future issue. Yeah. Well, speaking of future issues, let's talk future shows. I think uh, we haven't pl- we haven't got it nailed down yet, but I think our next show is going to be we're going to cover some Star Trek. Yeah. So we're going to do his uh, his uh, new visions, the, his photo novels. The Fumetti. So yeah. we're going to we're going to dip into that. We just don't know which what we're going to cover. Um. But I think that's all. That's all I've got. Do you guys got anything further? Actually, on these I've issues? got I've got some news. Uh, Gene right. Hendricks and I have been talking, and so Gene Hendricks is going to come along to uh, go over uh, an issue of the Avengers that John Byrne wrote, but n- did not draw. And okay. um, looks like we're we're uh, trying. It looks like we're going to go with issue three twelve. But uh, 311 is also a good one to look at since it's a solo Quasar adventure. And uh, obviously, you know, uh, Gene really has got the thing for Quasar. So uh, we'll be, we'll be uh, doing a show with that. And I think that's just going to be Tim and myself and Gene, Gene Hendricks. Sorry, guys. Now, I do want to okay. say, if we haven't said it on air, uh, you know, we've been referring to John... David and Kirk as interns, and they're no longer interns. They're full-blown burnouts. So, uh, <laughs> giving giving you a full welcome to the team, guys. Thank you. Yep, that's no, awesome. There's, there's no pay bump, so sorry. Yeah. Well, <sighs> double nothing is still nothing. <laughs> I, don't expect, I was expecting a 25 percent increase of my current my current rate. Well, I tell oh, you guys, if he, 20, if he gets 25, I want 30. <laughs> I'll just say that I, I've been getting more out of this show than I ever thought would would be possible. Just you know, being able to talk with you guys about all this stuff it's a it's a great way to uh, look over the past and uh, now look towards the future. It's really been enjoyable. Yeah. I think having more voices 
ideas bounce off each other better, so you get more of a not that two people can't do a podcast, but it helps when you've got a few more voices uh, to just kind of expand what you're talking about because you have more views coming in. So, yeah, and, and uh, I sound yeah. like a nut job by my own. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I second what Brian said. It's, it's you know great having you guys on the show. You're you're fully a part of what we're doing, and uh, we look forward to uh, more shows. Yeah, and this, of course, means that you have the responsibility of, of, of trying to put together stuff. I mean, again, you know, Tim and I don't have to be on every episode. David and John have, have done one full one on you know on their own without us, and there's no reason why you guys can't do that yourself if you've got an idea of something you want to do. Now, uh, one idea that I actually have that I'd like to, uh, to do is uh, on a future episode, maybe uh, around Christmas or New Year's, is a non-burn episode where we talk about other artists and writers that uh, we 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 follow because yeah i mean the thing is is like while this is a john byrne podcast i don't want everyone to think that he is the only focus that i have in comic books there was a lot you know that i that i read over the years a lot that i love just as much and sometimes even more than some of the work of Byrne. so i think that that, that might fun. be something we can we can cover you could maybe make, make a top three list i don't know that we could do top five I think it just be uh, kind of in the in the the vein of the early Two Two Freaks, kind of a a shoot the stuff episode, just yep. kind of a yep. whatever you want to talk about, you know, talk about. It. So uh, that that not a lot of prep for that, just whatever you you know whatever you want to you know discuss. Maybe it's people that you know you went to, maybe there are artists that you found because you were into Burn, or maybe there are people that. I don't know. It could it could be anything. It's pretty open. So just give it some thought, and and we will yeah. we will come back on that one and 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 yeah. have some fun with that. Cool. All right. Uh, you want to take us out, Brian? I think we have kind of covered this as much as we have, or as All much right. as we can. All right. When I say so, you guys, each of you say goodbye. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> hey, we really appreciate y'all listening to us, and we definitely want the feedback. So provide it to us, whether if it's email or uh, uh, Apple podcast or uh, on Facebook. We want to hear from you. But for Third Degree Burn, I'm Brian Hughes. That right there is Tim Elliott. Goodbye. That's Kurt Greenfield. We'll see you. And telling up the rear is John Hyatt. So long, everyone. Thanks. Have a great day. Great week. Great year. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.